Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Um, so, at least we accentuate the positive with one positive story in the papers this morning, and that is a long-awaited and well-overdue uh, heatwave, which is nice and good, great weather. Papers this morning talk of Paddy Last. Um, Paddy as in us, the Irish. Last as in the only country in the European Union now still with an indoor ban when it comes to hospitality. And unfortunately, Uh, We have been paddy last for quite some time now uh, and the pub bosses and restaurateurs must be livid about it. Uh, This morning the papers say that Neffet are going to meet today. There was murder actually over the past few days that they were anticipating waiting till Thursday to meet and make an announcement. I mean businesses need to know. But what certainly does look very very apparent now is that July 5th ain't going to happen. Summer is Delta Blow. Great headline in the mirror, clever headline, but unfortunately, bad news for pubs and restaurants. Looks like this Delta variant is going to push back the opening of indoor hospitality by two weeks, by a fortnight. Pint blank is the story that makes the front of the sun today. Pub owners wanting answers, wanting them fast. You could find out later on today, to be quite honest with you, because uh, the Taoiseach said that the call to pause restrictions will be brought forward. An effort of made a meeting today, so we could know today, possibly tomorrow with the latest. But the Independent says two-week delay to indoor dining likely. One of the more interesting aspects to this, and, and I will come back to it, I'd love to get your thoughts on it as well. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. But what was what was being put forward as an alternative Somewhat unfair alternative on some sections of society is that those that had been fully vaccinated would be allowed to go indoors in a pub or indoors in a in a restaurant. But the government knocked that one on the head. You know, it was they were calling it people were calling it a vaccine bonus access to meals and drinks indoors only for vaccinated people. I think that would get tempers frayed if they weren't already frayed. But the government said they wouldn't be able to establish which customer was vaccinated or how old they were or who was who and it would just lead to lead to chaos. So your thoughts on that text 0868104106. People in their 60s bizarrely are still waiting on their second jab. Uh, people between 60 and 69. The Echo says they'll get their second jab um, by mid-July. And of course, um, I don't know whether it's as a consequence of COVID or whether it's there's more money around or more people want to move away from big cities, but house prices are soaring. You heard Kira talk about that in the 9 o'clock this morning. They're saying uh, in Cork, it's in and around 14% the average house price is just uh, just over three hundred and three and a half thousand euro. And Daft are saying that's up this time last year by over fourteen percent. In other places, it's higher. Like bizarrely enough, when you when you talk about uh, Dublin, there are still fairly hefty increases up in Dublin, in spite of the fact that they say that many people are trying to get out of it. The Mail this morning, its front page says house prices shooting up by a hundred euro a day, and that'll cause panic, of course, with people who'll want to buy now. And, of course, you'll be getting, well, let me just put it this way. You won't be getting the kind of value you'd have been getting 12 months or two days, two years ago. Um, you know, you talk of uh, people who are done for drink driving. Drug driving is the new one now, apparently. And that also, never mind house prices soaring, drug driving soared as well, according to the Echo. It was a very interesting court report making the Echo today. Liam Healan was in court. Imagine this must have been on Friday, where a taxi driver was um, uh, charged with careless driving, causing serious bodily harm to a young man who was on an electric scooter wearing dark clothing. Well, that was a jury trial, and he was cleared of the charge of careless driving. In actual fact, the jury reached a unanimous 
decision. And they also attached a note to the verdict. So the judge asked them to read out the note, uh, Judge Brian O'Callaghan. And the note from the jury said, we recommend that the legislation be updated in regard to all road users to include electric scooters and the legal requirement of electric scooter riders to wear a high-visibility vest, to have insurance to drive on the road, and that the full responsibility and due care should not fall solely on car users. Isn't that very interesting? And he told, of course, then the judge told the taxi driver that he was free to go. That's very interesting. We may chat about that a little later on with regards to, I mean, is it a far stretch of the imagination to say that cyclists also should have insurance and that, um, you know, that... The full onus shouldn't always be on the motor car driver. Um, the uh, Netflix documentary on the death and murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier uh, starts on Wednesday, I believe. Uh, I'll chat with the director of that a little later on this morning, John Dower. I will be returning to this story because it's a story that keeps on giving. Ian Bailey is threatening to sue Netflix now if they don't pull out his interviews and his audio and visual bits from the series. And of course, Jim Sheridan had a, a similar problem with uh, Sophie Toscan's de Plantier's family, who asked for all of their uh, contributions to be also taken out. But Jim Sheridan has given evidence to the guards. John Kerrin says the story in the mirror this morning of another character who apparently was seen in Skull around that time. Um, and apparently, uh, Marie Farrell, the problem with Marie Farrell now is you never know when to believe her now anymore. But she's now saying that she saw a man in his 50s currently living in Paris, known to Sophie's late, late, late husband in a dark coat outside her shop. And she was the man that she saw and not Ian Bailey at all. So we'll come back to that a little later on this morning. Perhaps you've seen um, the Sheridan documentary or, or indeed how much of it has been has been uh, uploaded already. Your thoughts on that are welcome. And interesting to see that men are outperforming women when it comes to top legal jobs. An interesting article uh, making The Independent today. And of course, tennis starts today. Uh, and there's many, many column inches in the papers. And uh, undoubtedly, we'll miss Rafa Wimbledon. But hopefully, Andy Murray is up for the challenge. Mind you, he says being a dad beats all of his tennis wins. He says that his four kids fill him with pride more than any, any a Grand Slam or tennis game or tennis win in the past. And if you thought we had enough stouts, it's a bit like buses, another one comes along because, of course, we have Murphy's and we have Bamish and we have Guinness. But now Heineken are introducing a new stout and they're trialling it in Dublin. You think they'd trial stout in Cork, wouldn't you? Seeing as we have the best of it. But it's called Island's Edge. And it's being trialled across Dublin before going nationwide in September. I think that they'd have been better off trialling it in both. I mean, because people's tastes vary, don't they? But a new stout. Don't know whether stout is an option heading into the summer, but maybe it won't go on release until the autumn. And that might make more sense. The Neil Prenderville Show. Morning all. Text 0868104106 if you have an opinion on e-scooters or indeed cyclists and the laws of the road. Uh, for all of the business, of course, we're also open on 1850104106. So let's get straight to the phone lines. Peter Collins has Barry's and Douglas um, and joins me by phone. Peter, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, first up, the only country in Europe now uh, without indoor hospitality. How does that make you feel? Uh, look, Neil, it's, um, it seems to be, it's very unfortunate that, that we are, you know, getting news of this through leaks, through the media initially, and we get massaged into uh, accepting this. Um, 
I think that, that that's the particular issue. You know, if the government could come out and say, look, guys, you're not going to get open, you know, you, you, you'll take it on the chin for, you know, for safety's sake. Um, I think we, you know, we all, you know, we've seen what what damage this virus can do and we all want to be uh, responsible. Uh, but it's it's not welcome uh, the way this can be communicated. So if you if we're to believe these leaks that you refer to, July 5th will go by the wayside and it's more likely to be in and around the 19th or 20th of July. Yeah, apparently. But again, you know, it's this is all what what comes out in the media prior to an announcement, and I think this is what what really gets on on on, on people's goals. You know, they say, and I heard somewhere this morning that a week in hospitality, a week in the summer, is like a month's business the rest of the year. Is that true? It can be. Um, I think it, it, it depends on the particular area you're, you're, you are in. Um, uh, you know, Oden Barry's were very fortunate. We have an outdoor area and we're trading away. So this news will will be will uh, be very difficult for some people to, to take, uh, particularly around coastal areas, uh, whereby you know they have they have tourists uh, and and so on. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's uh, you know the summer is always is excellent in in Cork areas and um, you know p- particularly where holidaymakers tend to flock to. So um, again. It's 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 going to be a terrible blow for some people. For, for those that don't have outdoor hospitality, traditional pubs, correct, um, and restaurants, and restaurants, of course, yeah, and restaurants, of course. Anybody that doesn't have a you know a beer garden or outside dining or frontage on their property, they've got to cool their heels for another two weeks. I mean, Donal O'Keefe of the LVA said there is no justification for dragging this out into a second week, as tens of thousands of people guessing if they'll have a job to go to on July 5th. He calls it a pantomime. Um, look, I, I, I think we, you know, people are going to get very emotive uh, about this. Um, easy for me to say. Again, as I say, it's your while I'm trading outside uh, and I can understand people getting very frustrated and I, I think the level of frustration comes from just not knowing um, and again being massaged by, by certain messages that, that come out and then a couple of weeks later you're told you can't open your business that's what the frustration really is about um, of course the supports uh, could be better for those that are closed uh, and that, that, that is another source of frustration so we're, we're, I think we're, we're one of the last uh, sections of, of the business community still under you know this this type of restriction um, so it just builds up into frustration and um, it can be very difficult to take particularly if your business orbits around um, you know that, that busy period during the summer and now you hear that you can't open so look you, you can understand the frustration that yeah. that, that uh, yeah, you're aware that some um, uh, medical experts are coming out now saying that a two-week delay in reopening indoor dining and drink, drinking will have not any impact whatsoever in stopping whatever Delta variant rise they're talking about. This is what the, the medics are saying. Yeah, look again. I suppose we look. We just have to take the advice from from central government. They, you know, they've they've navigated through a, a very difficult um, period of time for for everybody. Um, you know, it wasn't long ago we were watching hospital numbers, and um, you know, uh, but we're not watching them anymore. Is it, is the worry that we could well be with this Delta variant? Then I I suppose so, Neil. I'm, I'm look. I'm, I have no medical qualifications. I only you know do do what we're told. 
um, and and listen to the, to the experts, and uh, that's what we have to do. And we, you know, we get uh, guidelines and restrictions put on our businesses, and uh, it's up to to us to to obey them for for the good of the nation. Do you expect to get news today? I don't really know. Um, as I said to you, it's 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 it, the communication leak and uh, rumor. You know, then leak and rumor. Yeah, it's it's you know, and it's it's. You know, it's impossible. It's impossible to say. Okay. Now, just before I let you go, that outside area that you put in place in Barry's is incredible. Um, When all of this is over, will the likes of you and and others and, uh, you know, pubs that, I mean, the Briar has done it as well on the Douglas Road. Will you be leaving those in situ or ripping those out? Yeah, I think I think we'll have to take stock of of what what way we will be trading post this. Will things go back to normal? When will they go back to normal? What level of restriction will be on on our business? So it, it will be the decision on, of, on that. You know, will be taken in mind of of what's left over because I, I think what we are being told um, or what we are hearing, I suppose, is a better way to say it is that a level of restriction will be in our industry uh, for a period of time. Um, so once once there's clarity on that, if we get clarity. Um, and when that clarity comes, then we'll make it. We'll make a call on it. Um, Probably best uh, to leave it there if there are more waves. Then I suppose. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it again. I suppose we just have to. I mean, if there's if there's a you know a, a, an echo variant or a you know whatever the next variant is, um, we, we just have to wait to see. But you know what I heard, I I, I heard somebody on the radio the other day on another station. Uh, talking about that, that the hospitality industry is desperately seeking a plan from the government. Um, not just, you know, there's a new variant coming, you got to shut down, open up, shut down, shut down, open up. Um, you know, we're, we're what, what would be very helpful is, you know, if the government could come out and say, look, you know, you can go indoor, you know, you got to ventilate your premises properly, here are the criteria for that. You know, just a little bit of more forward thinking on it rather than just, shut your business okay one of the things we dealt with last week as well was uh, problems with regards to getting jobs or hiring staff did you have any problems bringing people back um, most of my um, full time staff uh, came back so it was fine but but our, our you know we, we are looking for, for a certain uh, section of, of our staff particularly in, in, in the kitchen area um, seems to be a shortage uh, countrywide of chefs and um, uh, porters um, so yeah, we're we're looking like everybody else. Uh, we're 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 looking for staff. Uh, anybody listening out there would like to contact us. We would gladly talk to them, okay. uh, particularly okay. in the in the chef side of it. But um, it seems to be a countrywide problem. Yes. Okay, I'll let you get back to it uh, because you'll have a busy week these this week with sure. the great weather. Thanks so much for taking the call, Peter Collins in Barry's. Claire Nash is at Nash Nineteen down in Princess Street. Um, joins me by phone. Claire, uh, Claire good morning. Morning, um, you're not one to, to hold back. Uh, we hear of leak and we hear of rumours, but it looks as if uh, you ain't going to be indoors in Nash 19 from July 5th, not for another couple of weeks after that. How does that make you feel? Neil, um, yeah, it's all leaks, it's all rumours. I think we've gone so far with this. Um, it would be a shame now to split the industry and to get to um, emotive from some of our colleagues that haven't got in to see Neil, we've all got out. So, um, they, you know, the whole of Princess Street is trading very well. The city is trading well, albeit we've only eight tables. But like what we've done in the city and, you know, for Cork compared to this time last year, 
is absolutely bustling. It's, you know, it makes us very proud. It's, it's something that we will definitely continue with. Peter um, just said that they mightn't, but we've all changed our models now, who I'm really feeling for. And my God, their frustration must be just untold is those that cannot and have not opened yet. And an awful lot of that are the bars. Um, those that just have nothing outside their door to open. And then the other side of our business, the fine dining, um, you know, the Michelins, you know, the JP McMahon's, the finer restaurants, that it would be just a crying shame now if that cohort are actually forced to actually out of business by the end of this whole pandemic and that we don't have that lovely celebration of Irish food. You know, that's, that's my worry. Um, right now in the... In the interim, I know that we're probably not going to get reopened. And if people were really honest, Neil, we're possibly not ready to reopen. I'm being very honest this morning. Um, another two or three weeks wouldn't go um, astray for us to resettle because we're not opening the same again. None of us are. You know, we're changing our hours. We're changing our times. We're extending our we're extending our periods. And we have to. I mean, this is a remodeling completely stripping down your business and looking at it from, you know, a different way. It's very hard for you to do, like when you're 30 years in business. But why, like yeah, but why, why are we the only country in the entire Europe, European Union, that has no indoor hospitality? What's different about yeah. us? I mean, we don't have any figures that are higher than any other European country. In fact, the opposite. Neil, I'd love to be able to answer that for you. I know that Nefit has been very militant yeah, I'm but but Neffet Neffet work for us. The government yes, works for us, the people, not not the other way around. Yeah, yeah, and this is where I think this is where the frustration from government, from people that are leaking it, is building. Like we're nearly there, Neil. Surely to God, we're nearly there. If we can just, I mean, I think the government will make a sound enough decision for us on Neffet recommendations, which they did the last time, Neil. They didn't take all Neffet recommendations on the last reopening. I mean, all the hotels are opening and trading well. The restaurants could open and trade well. It's where you have the big gathering and then there's lots of drink involved. We're all the same. We just leave our guard down. If that's going to affect us too much that we'd be facing another lockdown, I think it's the wrong decision. Okay, okay. All right, well, fair play to you. You've been honest about it. It seems as if you have tacit support for the government there. You, you wouldn't have thought that it would have been a runner much to the annoyance of people who aren't fully vaccinated to allow fully vaccinated people into hospitality, no? How, 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 how would we manage that? How would we police that? Like, I'd hate to see the younger cohort left out because they're the ones that have made the huge sacrifices this year, you know, and this past two years. No, I don't think that's a runner. Okay. Um, you don't think that more and more people now will migrate away from hospitality employment, do you? Because they'll just be... Oh, they have. Fed- well, well, yeah, but even more because they will find the industry just too precarious. No, I'd say we have now are those, like I cannot believe the amount of Irish people that have come back into the industry and those that are trained are, you know, really wanting to be um, involved in something that's moving, changing and making a big difference. What we don't have, Neil, is the influx of like what was there and people didn't realise it was the lovely Brazilians, the Mexicans, those that came to study English. They were able to work for 20, 25 hours a week. They were there. They were, you know, like we had six of them and we just loved them. Like they were so part of our business. Five of them have gone home. Now they haven't been replaced in the last two years. So the influx hasn't come. That's where we're really struggling. So Neil, Peter Gonnan's going to have to roll up his own sleeves, I'd say, and start wash up. 
Like I've been doing okay. a couple of days recently. All right. And just get on with it. Okay, yeah. thanks, Claire. Have a good week with the great weather. Thanks for taking the call, Claire Nash, at Nash 19. We have two and a half million people fully vaccinated now. We have four million overall vaccine doses administered between the first and the second dose, but still they believe that indoor hospitality cannot be trusted. Calls on the way. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. I believe I heard somewhere over the weekend that Revenue now have started to contact businesses to inquire as to who's still on the pop and who's refusing to come back to work. Is me your quoted this morning on all of this foot dragging saying that, uh, you know, many of businesses within the hospitality are flatlining. And this dillying and dallying is serious and damaging to businesses. The president of the CBA on Lee side is Owen O'Sullivan. He joins me by phone. Owen, good morning. Can you hear me all right? Thanks for taking the call. Many, many businesses flatlining. And also, Ismi, you're also saying that thousands and thousands of workers in hospitality will reassess their plans to come up pop and will not return to work or will look for alternative um, employment. Your thoughts? Well, I suppose the hospitality industry in general has had the stuffing knocked out of them over the last 16 months. And to try and reinstate some confidence in in the sector is going to take some time. I think comments like we're not going to reopen at the 5th of July doesn't help that situation. Uh, I've been lucky enough to work with so many businesses like you've had Claire and Peter Collins on earlier. Um, It's just so challenging hiring staff at the moment, getting staff back to work because a business can't just be switched on like a light switch. Uh, And I think it's been very challenging, especially when things are being spoken about being delayed again and when people have restocked their businesses and so many businesses have restocked the premises with perishable items uh, and that's going to be an additional cost now if we don't get to reopen. Yes, of course, Um, all of the suppliers to hospitality also are delta blow. Absolutely, and that's the sector I'm in. We're in the wholesale food business. I've had so many phone calls over the last number of days about are we getting reopened, are we getting back. We have a warehouse full of perishable goods here um, that we're going to have to try and get out the door and speak to our suppliers. So it's it's an ongoing challenge and it has a knock-on effect for so many people. Um, I think you mentioned the figures that 2.5 million people have been fully vaccinated now and there's been 4 million doses given out uh, across the country. We brought back schools, we brought back construction, we brought back retail, and now outdoor dining and hotels without any significant spikes in numbers. So I can't see the justification in delaying. No government have to be extremely careful. The Delta variant is a new curveball that we have to deal with, and it accounts for now up to 20% new cases. But I think as far as we can see, the numbers haven't been uh, increasing in hospitals, which is the one we all have to look at. So, yeah, but they're, they're, I, I, I mean, the fear is a wave from the Delta virus, and they're trying to preempt that to try and get ahead of that. And and maybe some might say that a fortnight delay mightn't be a bad idea if it meant that we avoided another uh, major absolutely. lockdown, like Sydney's back in lockdown for two weeks. But you're quoted as saying that you're confident that hospitality will open indoors on the fifth. I, I can't see, so the government had to be extremely careful and I think because of there hasn't been a significant increase in numbers to date, I don't see why they will delay. Uh, I, can, I was listening to Claire a while ago and she was saying that it might be a bad thing to delay it a bit and I think that's down to the increase in demand 
it's been so challenging working in the industry the last couple of weeks. But that's, I mean, okay, and she's entitled to say that, but say that to a pub or a deli or a restaurant that doesn't have outside um, dining or doesn't have, doesn't have road frontage, footpath exactly. frontage. Exactly, because the outdoor dining piece only suits a handful of businesses, really, you know, and with people with the space. So people have been closed, our businesses have been closed for the last 16 months, and to get another initial delay is another blow, and it's very, very difficult, there's no doubt about it. And that's why I'm confident that we will be getting back to 5th of July. It's just a pity that it's delayed again. Or we're getting leaks, and, and we're not getting clear uh, information. And I think Peter Collins said earlier that just give us a plan, that we can work around because you can't run your business on speculation. So we, we just want to know what's going on. We want to be given a plan. And if you're going to come out and say that there's potentially going to be delays, give us a date at least where we might be reopening. At least we can plan around that. And do you, I mean, just in the bigger picture with regards to the city, uh, do you think that July 19th will happen where, where people will be able to come into the country and people here will be able to fly out of the country? Or, or would that be delayed also? Uh, I hope not. I hope not. I think Cork has probably done very well like over the last 13 months. And when you have business people given uh, a challenge like COVID-19, you see a lot of people thinking outside of the box. And that's where Cork has flourished over the last 16 months. Um, I know it's been very, very tough in so many, but the city really has uh, leapfrogged uh, into a different type of city. And you can you can see it yourself, Neil, when you're walking around Cork at the moment. It's just such a nice place to be. And I think it's become a destination where people want to visit, which is a great thing to have coming out the back of a uh, pandemic, that people do want to come and visit Cork. The images that we see going across the media uh, nationwide about Cork City and, and, uh, and across the world has been fantastic. Uh, and I think that's down to the collaboration between all the stakeholders in the city working very hard to get the city reopened. Okay, so you are optimistic uh, that whatever Neffet meeting happen, happens today and then the cabinet meeting after it, that they will plough on with July 5th opening indoors? Yes, yeah. Okay, yes. all right. Well, let's pause then and see if that happens and we can chat again. Thanks, Neil. Much obliged as always. Ona Sullivan, optimistic, saying he's confident that July 5th will happen. Have a listen to this. It's a handwritten letter. I'm not giving out the lady's details because family members have asked her not to share it. She has also given me the name of an extensive list of pubs, all of which I will not be reading out because obviously I can't personally stand over or verify that what she's saying is truthful. I'm not saying it's not truthful, but she lists one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different pubs that she knows of. Um, and here's the letter. She says, I'm a huge fan of you and your show. It has kept my family and I entertained, angered and incredulous at times over the last 15 months. From the early lockdown of 2020, when we had no idea what we were facing, to the gradual easing of restrictions in the last few months. But I feel that there were issues that need to be aired because if we don't learn from our mistakes, we are doomed to repeat them again. I consider myself as a 49-year-old woman that I have common sense, respect for the law, and have obeyed the regulations and restrictions over the last 15 months. But the biggest lie that has been put out has been that we're all in this together. No, we haven't been, 
and we are not now. I really feel the issue I am raising now needs to be properly investigated and I refer to the clandestine activities of many pub landlords, their customers who obviously had no regard for anyone else, their desire to pour alcohol down their throats is a true reflection on modern Ireland. The double standards, the double standards of the vintner's body who have been, has just been abysmal. You know, of course, the guidelines that exist at present. You don't need me to tell you them, but there have been and continues to be widespread ignorance of the guidelines which exist to keep everybody safe. Otherwise, we're just heading for more trouble, she says. I can tell you that a huge number of pubs, not a minority, A huge number of pubs have been operating behind closed doors, despite, as you were told by pub owners in many radio interviews that you conducted, that they were in trouble. This was not the occasional occurrence, but was a regular happening. Then she lists one, two, three, four, five, six pubs, and this is just a few that I know of that were breaking the law. My sister lives behind a named pub, and could see dozens of people going in the back door at least five days a week. I witnessed it myself when I visited her about a month ago. But the biggest disgrace has been the tacit approval of the guardee of the breaches of the guidelines. I have a friend who's a guard with 12-year service. He told me off the record that they had been told unless there was trouble, fighting, or other antisocial behavior, to take no action One, because they did not have the manpower to properly police the pubs. And second, many Gardaí have financial interests in pubs. And she lists pubs then where Gardaí have financial interests. So it wasn't in their interest to stop this illegal activity. They were told by their superiors to take no action, which, as you know, goes against the orders issued by the commissioner in Dublin. My sister told me a group of travellers tried to get into a named pub, and it nearly made them stop their illegal activity. They were told by immediate supervisors, the guards, to take no action, which, as you know, goes against the public utterance of the Minister for Justice and the Garda Commissioner. My sister told me uh, a group of travellers tried to get in a named pub, and it nearly turned into a riot. She's had to put up with people peeing against her wall late at night, broken glass in her garden on the road and she felt genuinely afraid of coming into contact with neighbours who traipsed in and out of the pubs in case they were in contact with those who had COVID-19. I was intending to ring and hopefully speak about the issue on the radio but my cousin advised me not to as I would be drawing trouble upon myself and I'm fearful of any repercussions as a couple of my neighbours who have been breaching guidelines know my points of view. I do know a son of one of my neighbours who has contracted COVID after regularly going to one of the pubs. He didn't isolate, he's very ignorant, and it did have an effect on him. This is a perfect example of how things can spiral out of control. It does not take much for there to be a spike or an escalation in cases. Unfortunately, I'm taking my cousin's advice as I'm fearful. I include my email address. Please keep the good work on the show, yours, etc. It is clear that the pandemic is not over and that while vaccinations are ongoing, we haven't yet reached critical mass of the many, many cases and people who should be vaccinated. There are predictions of a huge spike and surge in cases in September. And that uh, by post uh, to Neil here at uh, Red FM in Curraheen.
Back after the break, text 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. So it must be frustrating for people who wish to um, avail of hospitality, but it must be doubly, trebly, a million times more frustrating for businesses as we stumble from one decision and one kind of crisis to the next. Text 0868104106. Pat, my apologies. I'll, I'll get to you in a couple of seconds' time. I promise you that I know you've been waiting an age. First up, though, Alan, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are uh, you? You're in Dublin and you want to staycation in Cork. Pick up on the story. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm heading down to Cork on the 9th of July. I'm from Cork, um, but I was just heading down for a couple of nights and I was kind of planning out my weekend and it was a Friday and a Saturday night and I had a look on Open Table to see, you know, what you know, what, what I could book. Yeah. Um, and as it stands, there's only two restaurants available in the, the the whole of Cork. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two restaurants are based outside of the city. It just uh, seems interesting. Where are they? What are the restaurants? Um, I think there's one in Bannon College. Um, I, I, to be honest, I was looking for something maybe in the city, so I didn't pay too much attention. Okay, okay, um, okay, yeah. okay. So but, all um, all all of these restaurants in the city would normally be on uh, open table, wouldn't they? The the booking app. Yeah, and you think you know we're maybe kind of two weeks notice you know so this is two weeks time so I'm heading down you know and I was hoping to kind of book something on a Friday night or a Saturday night and normally you go and you see quite a few and you can book time slots um, but at the moment there's just uh, like I said absolutely nothing available and and you know I was just kind of wondering and kind of throwing it out there is it the case that they're all booked up because of the outdoor dining space and capacity or is it that you know is it restaurants are just not taking bookings because they're holding off to wait to hear about they know, are but they, but they are taking bookings and I can talk mm. from experience because I, but we booked a table five o'clock in Barry's and Douglas for for dinner and four of us rocked up and our table was there and others had bookings as well so mm-hmm. you, you you can book I mean I'm not quite sure it's it's the same as say two years ago because mm-hmm. many might be just doing walk-ins but it strikes me as bizarre like uh, I mean what would the, what, what's the situation around the rest of the country like your Killarney's and your Galway's and places like that do you know? Yeah I don't know I mean like you know in Dublin yeah, at the weekend I was able to kind of just ring up and book ahead. I suppose uh, my query is kind of specifically, you know, if you're, you know, let's say you're not from the city um, and you're kind of planning ahead. Like, it's just strange that, you know, two weeks in advance and you look at something like Open Table and um, there's just no availability for anything. So, uh, you know. I suppose the rule of thumb, I guess, is that you would maybe ring the restaurant of your choice. Yeah. You know, as a, as opposed yeah. to going through open table and like hope that maybe that the one that you want to go to actually will book a table for you. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I suppose query was just about kind of capacity, whether you know that what you know that they you know because of the limited numbers of outdoors dining, yeah. you, you know, yeah, yeah, is it possible to kind of book or or you know. Was it that there's just nothing available? Some, some, yes. Planning that far ahead. Yeah, know? yeah. No, I suppose they they aren't planning that far ahead because they don't know. I mean, you, they they won't have bookings available indoors now because they don't know whether they're going to get open indoors absolutely. on the fifth of July. Yeah, absolutely. But it's an example of how people might change their mind about coming to Cork. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's just yeah, just if you're planning ahead, you know. And and I thought, you know, well, two weeks ahead, 
And like you said, maybe they are all available. Maybe you do have to ring directly to each place. Uh, I just thought it was strange specifically because that's, you know, that kind of an app is, is something I'd kind of use a lot. And normally you could go on, you know, today and see. Oh, yeah, but I don't think yeah. you'd be able to book on a on a open table or a booking app for the 9th of July indoors when they don't know whether they're going to be uh, open. Or- I'm even talking about outdoors. I know, yeah, some probably, some do. If you ring them, that you know, as I say, we were talking last week on the air about different restaurants where you can book, but yeah. others then just, t- like Princess Street, you can't, for instance, and it's a queuing system, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think you have a time limit. So will it, will it change your mind about coming home? Uh, no, I'll just probably, you know, dine at home. But I, I, I will definitely go, I'll absolutely go around the city and maybe just get a few walk-ins and, and just try it that way. I think you that's know, probably and, and the way. ahead on a few places. And you never know, um, you know, maybe they will allow indoor hospitality allow here, maybe. You never know. From the Fingers 5th of July. And we'll find out what the next 24 hours brings. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, Alan. Enjoy your uh, weekend on Lee side. Wherever you do decide to dine, text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. 104 So, um, my apologies. Pat, good morning. Morning, Neil. Here's a man who is trying to pay his road tax, I believe. Is that it? That's it, Noel. Uh, and is, Neil, it, that's is, right. is it out of date? Um, it's out of date, yeah. It's the van we actually bought. My son's van. And I went into tax it last Wednesday morning. Uh, the office store and the motor tax office is wide open. You can't go in and get your motor tax. There's a box in front here. I don't know what the idea of the box is. I presume you put your phone with all your car details into the box. And you head away, but while I was in there, there were six or eight people came in and just turned around and went away. One man had come up all the way from Bandon. Oh, my God. Now, Neil, that's a huge office in there. Why they can't open and do social distancing? And uh, they have a glass partition in there. Beats me, like. I think it's a disgraceful way to be treating the public. So you can't walk in and physically do it in the old-fashioned way? No, Neil. No, 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 no. I think the thing here, Neil, is that they're pushing to get people to do it online. But not everybody is online. We got to we got to exactly, respect. Exactly, exactly. I'm no spring chicken myself, Neil. And I don't know how to do it online. My daughter not to be did it there for me over the weekend. But um, you know, I think I think it's an absolute disgrace. Like now, I could be open to correction on this. I'm told they're on full salary, so why not open to the public and let them go in and tax their vehicles? But why wouldn't they be on full salary? It's the public sector, so they would be on on full salary. Yeah, like if you're in the motor tax office, because their, their, their answer machine is because of government restrictions, they remain closed. But sure, there's libraries, there's everything opening up, Neil. It's a huge office. You can source the distance in there, no bother. Yeah, well, it's a form of retail, if you like, and retail is open indoors. I mean, one of the kind of more precarious places would be would be chemists and pharmacies, but yet they're open and they have a queuing system and it works perfectly well. Exactly. I can't understand it, Neil. I'm very surprised, actually, that you haven't got somebody on to you before now. But, um, you know, I felt sorry for that man there last Wednesday morning after driving all the way up from Bandon and have to walk away and, and, and not have his vehicle taxed. You can walk into a bank and go to a bank teller if you can find a bank teller, but you can, can't you? Well, you can, yeah. So I think can, it, would yeah. Be, it would be. The, now, it's, it's not the staff are at fault here. It's whatever directive they were given, you know. It isn't actually exactly. the workers. Exactly. But that's close with months and months and months, Neil. And I pass there fairly regularly. And the front door is wide open with about four weeks, I'd say. But when you walk into the hallway, you can't go any further. You have this box. And I presume the idea of the box is just to put the farm into the box. 
Is there any sign they're saying because of COVID-19 and blah, 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 and effort guidelines? No, nothing like that? I, I tell you now, Neil, there were so many people came in together and I just looked at the door and door closed is written on it. There's a half dozen other signs up in it. But I got out of it, to be honest with you, because people were getting very angry. So let the word go out to anybody that's intending to go and has in the past and been disappointed, intending to go to tax their motor car directly. Don't do it. They can't do it. They can't do it right now. They can't do it. All right. Okay. Okay. Be interesting. We'll see if we can get a response and give the reason. I know. I imagine the response will be, you know, because of NEFET guidelines, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But like, can you, yeah. like, other oh, government departments. I mean, can you go and get a, is the passport office open, for instance? Is birth, no, I don't know. Neil. Is birth, no, deaths and marriages know. open, for instance? Um, can you go into the revenue in Blackpool? I suppose the answer to all that is, is probably no. Probably no, yeah. Probably right. no, but like if every place else can open up and there's so much room inside in that motor tax office, like there's no problem at all social distancing. Well, there's a big difference then between public sector business, public sector services and private sector services, isn't it? Exactly, Neil. Exactly. Good exactly. Point. Okay, exactly. thanks for that. Appreciate it. Thanks, no, Pat. No, no, thank Sorry you, for holding you. Thank Be you. aware if you're planning to travel, don't, unless you're just dropping off the documentation that needs to be dropped off. But if you're going there thinking you can go up to the counter and pay and do your business you can't i'm also told that no passports are all online at the moment as well uh, and uh Emer says births deaths and marriages can't even give you a birth cert at the moment because of the hse hacking scandal and they're also closed the hacking scandal has, has had a terrible impact on people's health and appointments and people who need to get bloods done and need to get checkups and go back for appointments and stuff like that. If you think that we sailed through that one, we certainly did not. Uh, interesting text here. Neil, it's very busy in tourist towns like Killarney, Kenmare, can sail at the moment. It's nearly impossible to get a restaurant booking. We were in Killarney at the weekend. We barely got a booking in the hotel we were staying in. We had to eat at 9.15pm, way later than we would usually eat. Yeah, that's late. That is late. Half a cork was in Killarney at the weekend. There was a great atmosphere by day, but my God, there was serious street drinking at night. I've heard that it's the same in Galway, Limerick and Dublin at the moment. In Killarney, there were about 500 teens gathered in the town car park, drinking off-license and takeaway drink. 500 in the car park. Oh my God. It was very messy. There were late teens, early 20s, but there were definitely underagers there too. I'd say tourism in these country towns will die a death unless we get the young people back into pubs and clubs rather than falling around drunk on the streets. I think a handy amount of them would prefer to be indoors as well um, or in more controlled environments than hanging out in car parks, don't you think? Um, I think it's they're just trying to make the best of a bad lot. But a Killarney car park with 500. Could you imagine the clean-up after that? This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. I we see a lot of these stories and incidents in, 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 in the city with regards to drinking outdoors and then the 500 in the car park in, uh, in Killarney. I was down west to the weekend. Um, I was on to, went out to Jersey Island on the, on the cable car. It was, it was incredible and, uh, met a great girl working at the cable car office called Claire, who was just a, a, a huge 
asset to the business because she tells you so many different stories about the island and the history of it and the you know there's a little old school there and was chatting to her about that so thank you Claire it was a wonderful wonderful trip um, stayed in Eccles in Glengareth and there was a great buzz there and Glengareth was rock and all of the outdoor dining and uh, fantastic fish and chips from Murphy's right at the cable car really fresh uh, wonderful, wonderful experience. But coming back then through Skull uh, yesterday morning, quite early yesterday morning, it was down at the famous Club Piero, the pier area down in Skull. And um, I don't know what went on the night before, if anything went on the night before, but there was zero evidence of it early Sunday morning. Like zero. Um, I'm told that maybe people do a huge clean up there, but there was no evidence at all. There was no, The only thing I saw was at one stage looking out to see there was one Corona bottle top and one Canadian bottle top. Nothing else. It was pristine. And Skull was busy too, particularly with the market there. It was absolutely rammed and buzzing. Text 0868104106 and we'll pick it up after 10. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850 Red FM. Okay, it's great to see competitions back on air with a lot more regularity now, which is terrific. And uh, this week, we have some wonderful vouchers to give away every single day for living dreams, furniture and bedding in Little Island. So we have 400 euro vouchers every single day and they won't be beaten for quality and value. Living dreams down in Little Island. Now, um, we're going to have some fun with this because I want you to share, call, text or email your um, vivid, freaky, funny, scary dreams. Any type of dream, particularly a premonition maybe in a dream of something that went on to come true. I'm just giving you some ideas to work with. So call, text 0860-8104-106, email neil at uh, redfm.ie. Your dreams, we have 400 euro vouchers every single day this week, courtesy of ourselves and living dreams, uh, Little Island, just behind the NCT. And I'll tell you some more about that throughout the course of the morning. So think on that one and away we go. Lots of texts coming on on the delay um, the possible delay, probable delay to indoor hospitality. So keep those coming. Text 0868104106. And I'll come back to those calls, texts and uh, uh, emails throughout the course of the morning. I think um, Simon Harris is pretty much saying that like Neffet will meet today. The government will meet in the morning. The cabinet or those that sit around the table on this one. And an announcement will be made tomorrow, not today but tomorrow. But I think he said that we will expect some kind of restrictions being lifted at some stage in July. (laughs) So it looks more and more unlikely to be July 5th. So more on that then throughout the course of the morning. But um, you're probably watching Jim Sheridan's documentary, which is rolling out on the Sky uh, Crime Channel at the moment. On Wednesday, Netflix drops their three-parter on the um, unsolved murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. But it's an, it's an incredible story in itself because there's always a new twist and an added twist. Uh, and that's been the case now for, for 25 years. Ian Bailey remains centre to all of this, of course. Or does he? There's a story at the weekend that uh, John Cairns had in the, uh, in the Mirror where the Guardian now have a new name. Um, 
we have to take with somewhat of a grain of salt anything that Marie Farrell says these days because she said so much and then retracted it and changed her mind and said she was put up to it by the guards. But one part of her story way back in the day was who did she see at Kailfada Bridge and who did she see outside her shop across the road? At one stage, she said it was Bailey. Now she's saying that it wasn't Bailey, that it was a Frenchman. John Kerrans joins me with the background to this story. Morning, John. Thanks for taking the call. Morning, Neil. How um, are you? I'm well, thanks. And your good self? Good, good. I had a dream last night that I won the lotto. <laughs> well, hopefully it's a premonition and it will come true. <laughs> I can't give you a 400 euro voucher for that. <laughs> That's okay. But for thanks for kicking the ball off on that one. What do we know? And again, do we? Does everything that Marie Farrell now come with a with a warning? Uh. Yeah, I think so. To be fair, this story really was broken over the weekend by May Sheehan in the Sunday Independent. Um, and it emulates from events over the last couple of weeks. And I would have done a follow-up on it today in the, in, in the mirror uh, with a bit more information on it. Um, basically, uh, Jim Sheridan and his investigation team, um, uh, you know, would have interviewed Marie Farrell at length um, during the course of, of the documentary. Um, they were fascinated by her description of a, a man uh, in a long black coat who was seen outside her shop. Um, uh, initially, they thought he, he was possibly stalking Sophie. She went in to buy a, a newspaper. Then people seemed to come to the conclusion that he was kind of keeping his distance, but he was kind of with her. So anyway, it turns out that this particular man... Uh, <laughs> due to Jim and his investigators, they managed to ID this guy. They managed to, they got, they got, I think they got a photo fit off Marie Farrell. They then managed to actually get a picture of him and Marie Farrell has ID'd this guy and it turns out that he is a man who was living in Paris. He would have been known to Sophie's husband and I think she's pretty adamant about, about the, the picture of him that it definitely is him. She, at the time, had a description of a man who was five foot eight in height. This guy is five foot eight in, eight, eight in height. But then uh, she was persuaded by the guards that it must have been Ian Bailey, even though Ian Bailey was six foot two inches in height. Now, why? You know, I, I think you have to have an open mind in this. Now, my initial reaction is, why would Marie Farrell want to get involved in all of this again? You know, she'd been already been through the mill. Uh, twice in the court, she made a statement. She admitted she lied, um, saying that she, you know, saw Ian Bailey washing blood off his boots uh, down at the stream. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Kelfada Bridge. I mean, you you covered this story Bridge. extensively, and even oh, come here. I, 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 come here. I was in the story from the get go, in from day one. Yeah. I confronted me with Bailey three or four days after the murder, along with Tenna Maloney and Paddy Clancy. Yeah up at his house and confronted him and asked him straight up what well, had he killed her yeah. you know because yeah. he, he just seemed to have a lot more information than the guards in that moment in time you know uh, but all along you know uh, from the get go I, I kind of came to the view rightly or wrongly that Ian Bailey was innocent because uh, I, I couldn't see him even though he's extremely just because somebody is ex- eccentric or unlikable doesn't mean that they're a killer and also there was no evidence I'm, I'm trying to use my head here and go where's the evidence mm. So apart from me and Bailey, you know, saying to one or two people or a handful of people in a drunken state that he killed her, there was nothing else. Mm. There was no other evidence. There was no DNA. There was no fingerprints. And I would always go uh, along with the evidence. Mm. And I was always 
I don't get emotionally involved in stories, and I always try to kind of keep a, an open mind in it. But yeah. but you're so saying that she, you're saying that Sophie knew this guy um, that yeah. they were actually together yeah. in she Skull, did but guy, yeah. didn't. And, but and, and he, but she, she did know this guy. But that they and, deliberately uh, didn't want to be seen together for some clandestine right. reason, is it? Right. That seems to be the suggestion that's been made to me. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a guy in a long coat, five foot eight. Yeah. Wearing a yeah. beret, it kind of, it, it just stretches the imagination a bit too much, doesn't it? All that's got, and he's, he's wearing a beret and he's a French man. But I mean, the thing is, Jim Sheridan is, 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 is the one who passed this on to the Gardaí, uh, you know, and uh, he's a very honourable man. Uh, he, you know, he's, he, he's passionate about getting justice for, for Sophie. He's passionate about, you know, finding the, the real killer. Um, and what have the guards uh, done about this information, do you well, know? Well, what the guards have done is Jim, first of all, gave it to the Gardaí, and then last week the Gardaí uh, uh, interviewed Marie Farrell again and took a statement from him. So that's where it's at. But in fairness to the Gardaí, the Gardaí made a, a new plea for information in relation to this case uh, uh, only last Friday. I spoke to a superintendent, Kennelly, in Bandamahan, and he was appealing for the public to come with any new information. It'll be investigated by the Gardaí. He said they, they were keeping an open mind. The investigation was live, um, and he's in charge of it. And subsequent to that, I actually met the Garda Commissioner here in Grohala, where I live, on Friday afternoon, and he confirmed to me, I had a, a five-minute conversation with the Garda Commissioner through hours, and he told me in that conversation that the Garda are now considering a review of the case. Now, he said there were seven, seven different uh, factors involved before a final decision is to be made, but he is considering a whole cold case review of the murder. There now seems to be, I think, a grown view at the top of the Garda Shikona that they need to get to the bottom of this case one way or the other. And um, I could see it happening that they will put the necessary resources into all of this. Going but sure, how, like, how much luck would they have trying to um, interview a man in France? Like, the French would never allow that. They wouldn't allow well, it the on, last time. We allowed, we allowed the French to come to Ireland and to interview every Tom, Dick and Harry. Yeah, but when the guards tried to go over, there was over 50 suspects initially. The, the French were told, right. you can't talk directly to anybody. Give us yeah. the questions, we'll ask them for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they might have to go back to them a second time and see, can they go? I mean, after all, it'd be the very, very difficult for the French to turn them down when they were allowed in here, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, so a brand new investigation from the Gardaí wouldn't go anywhere, really, if there's no DNA, there's no fingerprints, they've lost evidence, the gate is gone. I mean, where would that go? You know, the blind alley well, they, didn't, they didn't have DNA I think they have have they not got DNA Neil they didn't have DNA that matched the babies yeah any of the blood they, any of the blood that they recovered was, was Sophie's yeah you yeah. know yeah that's true yeah and this this uh, guy this fella that she now says was a Frenchman he's in his 50s and living in Paris is it he must be yeah, yeah. he must be quite concerned Pardon? He must be quite concerned that he could well now be in the frame, whoever he is. Well, I'm sure he is, uh, if he is aware of it at this stage. You know? oh, and how much... Uh, uh, the whole uh, family have come out today saying it's all fantasy uh, in, the, in the star, her, her, her uncle. But then again, he's in Paris, so what would he know? You know, we, we, we haven't seen the statement. I don't know what Marie Farrell has, you know, the precise details, but all I know is she has identified this person. That person is alive is in Paris, 
is known to the Plantiers. You know, the, the Guardi never really got to investigate any possible French side of this. You know, apart from the, the her, apart from her ex lover Bruno Carbonet, right. who yeah, who had, had an alibi had for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, that's that's where it's all. I mean, it's it's just an extraordinary case. It keeps taking all these different turns, but at the end of it, it's going round in circles because there doesn't seem to be enough evidence anywhere along the line to charge anyone or to to have a proper trial in this country. So the the, the thought process is: Did this guy, this French man, secretly stay in Sophie's home? That's the question. When did he come into the country? Is the footage of him at Cork Airport, or where did he come in? Did he come in by boat? Did he come in with her? You know, or is it all nonsense? Did you watch the Sheridan documentary? I are did, you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Are you Are you going to watch the Netflix one, or have you seen it already? I certainly will. I certainly will. Um, you know, the Plantier family were were upset with Sheridan's because they thought it was uh, very much uh, kind of uh, painting Neen Bailey and. Uh, and Jules as as victims of the thing. Um, uh, I wouldn't go along with that at all. I, t- I actually thought, you know, Ian Bailey, to the guy I knew, came across as completely eccentric, in it, and I thought his behaviour was completely bizarre. Yeah, be interesting because well, he is he is now threatening to sue Netflix, right? If they don't remove his contributions, right? Like well, he fears that the Netflix is doing a homage a homage job on him. Um, it's, I it's, haven't seen Netflix, so I don't know. Well, I have seen it, and it's no way as complimentary to him as, say, for instance, Jim Sheridan's documentary is. It's yeah. the well, polar I don't opposite. think Jim Sheridan's documentary was overly com- complimentary to Bailey in the sense that it portrayed you know, the way he was betrayed. I mean, I would have met Ian Bailey and spoken to him, and he always came across as an intelligent guy. He certainly wasn't behaving as bizarrely as he was in all the footage in Jim's documentary. All right. Uh, time I met him, I spoke to him. You know, be interesting to get your thoughts after Netflix drops on Wednesday. Then, uh, well, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm looking forward to seeing what the Netflix is. But I mean, their 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 mantra is they're going to tell Sophie's story and her family's story. And as Drew Harris said to me on Friday, you know, it's Sophie's family who are the victims in this case, not Ian Bailey. And he is right in that. You know, you know, if it's a case that. Ian Bailey is totally innocent and somebody else is charged and convicted down the road when then Ian Bailey does become a victim because he would have been accused of something for 25 or 30 years that he didn't do but we're not at that stage yet. Oh, but you imagine if we ever did get to that stage what a price he would have paid 25 absolutely. years of his life yeah. just blown yeah, up. Absolutely. Yeah 100%, 100% right. Okay. You know, okay. On that um, thought, so it's uh, it'd be all very interesting to see it all plays out. But I think it is interesting that the Cardi, because it, it, it's as if this whole case was inactive for years, and then suddenly in the last week, you know, we've seen you know the Cardi certainly are uh, seem to be renewing their interest in the case. Apart from Marie Farrell's statement, but the fact they're appealing for new information, the documentaries may have freshened. Uh, we reawaken the people's memories. Uh, and also the fact that the Garda Commission through Harris is there saying he is considering a review of this whole investigation. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, listen, just before I let you go, um, are, are you covering this this bizarre John Gilligan story over in Spain? Um, I just have a little yeah, bit I of... Have a, been. I, I did a story on... Uh, the, the celebrations with his pals. I spoke to Jimmy, Jimmy Gear in Atlanta. I, I met Jimmy on Thursday, actually. This was before the video came out. Um, 
But uh, Gilligan's over there. He's facing charges. Uh, I covered the trial originally. Um, Gilligan got off. I mean, Brian Meehan is really the only man who went to jail for Veronica's murder. Um, the rest of them... You've seen, you've you know, seen the video posted on social media. Here, here's about, here's yeah. about 10 seconds of the audio. Two of them now, he's at the boy. It's not often now you get two drinks. Yeah. 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 Two drinks, he's at the boy. He didn't do it. All of his cronies laughing and chanting he didn't do it as they enjoy their beers in the so sun. I think it's mostly his family, his son and his mates or whatever over there in Alicante, you know. But look, it's despicable and it's shocking. But it just shows you what you're dealing with. You know, you're dealing with the scum of the earth here in Gilligan and Co. You know, that's what he is. Uh, he had absolutely no regrets for the murder of, uh, of Veronica, him or his gang. You know, there was never any remorse. Uh, I covered the trial. Uh, he was found uh, not guilty largely because a lot of the guard evidence on the file wasn't admissible in court because a number of key witnesses fled the country after having threats yeah. made to their lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If those people had to give it evidence, the whole gang would have went down. And that's yeah. a fact. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. The video says... Care less. He has no... He has, you know... The man uh, just has no sense of, uh, you know... He's no morals whatsoever. He's no humanity about him. Him and all his cronies, you know, all the are are criminals, killers, you know, that they're just into crime for money, you know. They did a lot of damage to this country, but thankfully, Veronica did not die in vain. The Guardi really smashed up his gang. He's out there in Spain at the moment. He's awaiting the trial for drugs and possession of firearms charges. Um, you know, he may or may not go down, we don't know. Um, and, like, he is what he is, and... You know, uh, I would get annoyed about it. I was very impressed with Jimmy Gearn, who said he wasn't going to let that video, you know, really wind them up. Yeah, but apparently um, he brought rounds of drinks for his cronies and there was some caption on the video saying two drinks, one for Veronica, one drink for Nicola Talent, the crime correspondent with the Sunday World. Very sinister that he would mention a journalist. Very, very sinister and very dangerous. And and Nicola Talent is a brilliant journalist, as you know. She's as brave as they come. I gave her her first job. And, you know, she's an outstanding, outstanding journalist. But this is, this is the animals. And that's what they are. They're animals. This is what you're dealing with. And, you know, they're all smart arses. They think they know it all. And they think Do they, they think they're untouchable or maybe they are? Oh, well, well, McGilligan did 18 years in jail there. So he was only out a couple of years. So he wasn't that untouchable, you know. And he could be going back to jail again. But look, these are career criminals, you know. That's the way they are. You know, they get involved in crime. The likes of Gilligan, me and they all got involved in crime at a very young age. And, you know, they keep coming back for more. You know, and for all the do-gooders out there who say you can rehabilitate criminals, you know, you can in your backside. Nonsense. You know, and, and the track record is there to prove it. If you look at all the stuff, They find a gun in his garden. I mean, you, you, you go to jail for that one. Yeah, but you get you get five years. They found a gun in his garden, didn't they? Now yeah. they can't. Yeah. Yeah, but the only problem with this is all his previous convictions at home, etc., do not come into play. It's only judged on whether this is... I think this is forced offence oh, in Spain. Yeah. And for that matter, he may get off of it. We'll wait and see. You know? John, it's always good to catch it's up. We covered a lot. We'll wait and see. We covered a lot of ground. Thanks for taking the call. Look after yourself. Cheers. You're welcome. Thank you're you. Great. John Jumbo Cairns from the uh, Irish Mirror. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. we got more on Sophie Toscan de Plantier after the break. I'll tell you that. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850104106. Red FM. John Darrow, good morning.
And good morning to you, sir. Thank you so much for taking the call. Director of Sophie, A Murder in West Cork, which airs on uh, Netflix, I believe, the back end of June, June 30th, isn't that right? Indeed, indeed, June 30th. And it being Netflix, the platform Netflix, I'm sure you're going to be expecting huge numbers of people around the world watching it and of course an awful lot of people here in Cork down in the down in the south of the country can I ask you because I mean it's a it's a story that has been going on for so many different years so many different strands 25 years now and having watched it I got the impression that you're the first person to actually bring the story bring the narrative back to Sophie Toscan de Plantier herself was was that your intention? Yes, it was very much our intention. And that, that was our ambition um, uh, from when we first set out trying to make it. And, and, and I know the story for, for people in Ireland is obviously incredibly well known. But I mean, I, I'm from London um, via Scotland. And I didn't, I, I wasn't aware of the story until obviously the podcast. Um, and I thought the podcast was exceptional, but I, I was struck by listening to the podcast that, that that it felt like they'd almost been seduced by this this main suspect. And I wanted to know more about um, mm. the victim and the family because it's you know it's a it's a it's sadly a bit of a trend in in a lot of true crime um, series that the victim usually you don't get to know too much about. And mm. I think what marks this case out as well is that the family they've been very active in in this story you know to the extent of setting up an association and and setting off their own legal process in france so we were very keen to tell it from that perspective you you also got a tremendous amount of access from the family obviously um sophie's parents george and marguerite her brother bertrand her son pierre louis but Incredible amounts of old video footage of her with her son, video footage that I had never seen of her in her West Cork home. I saw all of that for the first time and it it really brought her as a person home to me, you know? Yes. And and interestingly, that that, particularly that footage of Sophie in in her cottage in Tormor in Cork, we only got that at the 11th hour. I mean, I should stress, we made this film with the family we didn't make it for the family we had their blessing they had no editorial control over over what we did they obviously trusted us um to tell the story in a sort of a, a sensitive and a, a nuanced way mm. but that, that footage of, of sophie in the cottage didn't didn't come in until li- literally the last couple of weeks of our editing and we've been editing for a good a good few months yeah. and 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 sophie's son pierre louis he hadn't even seen that footage, and he found it very difficult watching it, you know, because it's he still has the cottage. That's a place he very much associates with Sophie. So then to see footage of her in it was, I think, it was it was quite tough for him. Did you did you go into it, and those of you that made it, did you go into it with an open mind? I I got the impression that you did not. How would you respond to that? I, I cert- well, I changed my mind. <laughs> I mean, I, I went into it with a, a very open mind, particularly not knowing the story as, as well as someone who's, who would have grown up with it in Ireland. My producer, um, Sarah Lambert, she's originally from Cork. She obviously knew it very, very well. But I, I didn't, and I, I did approach it with an open mind. 
I changed my mind about what I believe happened. But, you know, at the end of the day, what I believe, I don't think is important. Um, we, we clearly take a point of view in the series. Mm. And, and I think, you know, you can't... You, there's this whole idea that documentaries are somehow objective and we'll, we'll find and tell the truth. It's nonsense. You know, every story, you know, if you sit with somebody in the pub and, and, and tell them a story, you, you, you will give that story a point of view. And yes, our story has a point of view. And I, I, I kind of think that's valid, but I didn't, I didn't come in expecting to tell the story as it, as it, as it unfolds in the three parts. Yes. You know, you talk of three sections to it. I got the impression that there were three major players involved in this. One of those three obviously lost her life. It struck me watching the documentary that we were looking at a triangle and the triangle was Sophie, Ian Bailey and Marie Farrell. They are the three major (laughs) players for 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously your listeners and you will be very aware that there's that there happens to be another series having made in this story which which started going out last week and I think you know they take a different point of view and um, they do I mean they it, have access. It, it, it overlaps in different areas I mean Jim Sheridan has access and lots of video footage of Ian Bailey we see him in in different moods actually to be quite honest and many people mm-hmm. are worried about his, his consumption of alcohol throughout it um, you, you, also there were issues with Sheridan with regards to the family who withdrew their footage because he takes a particular narrative that's very sympathetic I think what's quite sympathetic to Bailey you're not actually. Yeah. You hammer away at the issues like the, his his alibi. You hammer away at the scratches. You hammer away at the confessions, and you introduce a lot of new interesting evidence as regards to whether or not Bailey knew um, Sophie Toscan de Plantier or not. I found that quite interesting, to be honest. Yeah, but I think it's still. I think that still stands for the story generally, whether you're talking about Jim Sheridan's series or ours. I mean, I think it's perfectly summarised by um, your your um, your your fine Cork reporter Barry Roach. Yeah. Um, you know, a great old school journalist and reporter, and you know, he says, and I, I felt this. He articulates what I felt while making the series is that Ian Bailey has still not answered several questions and contradictions he's still not given a you know a, a you know a, a comprehensive answer to questions about whether he perhaps met sophie or or the whole issue of the bonfire for me which i've i've never heard ian talk explicitly about so i think there are quite which is why unfortunately and sadly particularly for sophie's story that this story sophie's family that this story does continue to rumble on and and the other character that you point out is of course marie farrell i mean i met marie several times me and my producer sarah we met her several times she was going to do our film then she wasn't going to do our film she was going to do our film we were due to sit down with her and 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 do some filming and then she she told us that she at the last minute decided to sign an, an exclusive contract with jim sheridan the mm-hmm. idea that you'd You'd only talk to one person about this story. I find slightly baffling, anyway. But then people and people people who followed this story in Ireland will not be, you know, will will not be surprised that Marie Farrell, you know, 
changes her mind. It, well, in, in, in his defence, actually, uh, Ian Bailey did give you off his time um, and sat down with you. He has subsequently come out and said that it's poisonous propaganda and he expects Netflix yeah. to burn him on a pyre of lies. I don't know whether you're aware or not, but he, he's also threatening to sue if he doesn't like what he sees. Yeah, but, well, I mean, Ian threatens to sue sort of on a sort of weekly and monthly basis, doesn't he? I mean, uh, I, mean I, I find it, again, baffling that he's described it as poisonous propaganda when he hasn't even watched it yet. Maybe he should watch it first and then and, and, and then make up his mind. Listen, we did an interview with Ian, um, and then he then decided that he would sign an exclusive contract with Jim Sheridan. Again, I find that a little strange, perhaps even a little unsettling that a that a, that a prime suspect who claims he wants to tell everyone his story and get it out there in, in, in the right way signs an exclusive contract. I mean, um, so so when I went back to him with, with some of these questions and contradictions that we feel he hasn't really answered, he said, oh, well, I can't talk to you because I have an exclusive contract. So, I mean, he's put himself in a bit of an invidious position, really. He's tied his own hands. You know, it, it's a bit rich to accuse us of propaganda when he then decided to stop talking to us. You can't really have it both ways, even though he likes to generally have it both ways. Um, do, you, do you think that much of that way that he, he lived his life over the past 25 years, because he was a reporter in the offset with regards to the Sophie story, he was covering it um, when he became a, a suspect, a suspect of the Gardaí, uh, he still continued to very much court the media. Do, do, you, do you think that that's, that's part of what's happened to his life, how his life has imploded because he loves the limelight, he loves to be part, loves to be the centre of attention? Yes, I don't think that's helped him in any way. I mean, th- th- again, as I said, I, I, there was a, I didn't know a great deal about the story when I first came across it, but I was struck by a couple of things. One, which I thought was very unusual for a, for a, 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 a true crime story, if you like, was, the, was that the, the main suspect, the prime suspect, and, you know, Ian has declared himself the prime suspect at times with, you know, some sort of strange enjoyment as if he takes satisfaction from it but the, the the prime suspect was a journalist as you say reporting on the case who continued to then report on the case when he was a suspect which feels fairly unique and every time this story feels like it's it, it's going away it's it's ian who generally resurrects it so um i mean i i hear which, you know, having met Ian several times and, and witnessed him try and use a very basic mobile phone, which is fine. I now hear he's got himself a Twitter account, an yeah. Instagram yeah. account. Is I mean, he, you know, well, he's, enti- he's, again, he's entitled to he's, at the center. But he's entitled to all of that. We all have Twitter accounts. We all have Instagram accounts. I mean, did, did, did you look yeah, at... The, the difference is he's, he's set these up again around this story it's not like he's got a personal account i mean he each time you know he has this double argument that you know he just wants to be left alone and live his life but he keeps throwing himself back into this story he you know he he wants the attention of it I mean, it was also have it, both ways. it was also the it, both it was ways. also the first time that I saw somebody, you know, and, and Netflix and your series did this to look at Ian Bailey's life before he came to Ireland. I mean, 
he seems to have paid an awful lot of high prices for something that he was never found guilty of. I mean, when he was in the UK, he was he was flying as an investigative journalist. He got married, he had a big house. Something went wrong. He ended up penniless. We got it. We got insight into all of that for the first time from from you guys. And and apparently he was damn good at his job as well at the same time, wasn't he? So then he he came here to start a, a new life, wasn't it? To to try again. He wanted to be a, a, a poet. Where you make out in the in the Netflix show that he's not much of a poet. Well, well I mean, what do you think of his poetry? Not, not, not much. <laughs> but, well, there but, you go. So but, I don't think that's. <laughs> I don't think you can beat me with that stick. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We got yeah. to see, and we got yeah. to see other as like we saw different aspects of Sophie's life. We saw different aspects of his life as well before Ireland, um, and and then of course we we watch it all unravel where you question over and over again as to you know. Uh, how how did he know that Sophie hadn't been sexually assaulted? You go into an awful lot of detail about what time he knew about the crime, why he went to the house when nobody knew about it. There's huge time differences there. And of course, yeah. you, you spend an awful lot of time on the confessions, which he claims were um, black humour. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, yeah, listen, in, in our series... We don't say Ian Bailey is guilty. He's not been found guilty in an Irish court of law. Mm. But we do, you know, he, he has been found guilty in France. Now, whether you accept that or not, he has been found guilty there. And and we present that in the film. So that's, I don't think there's anything controversial about that. And there are voices in our series that also, that do question whether that's right. You know, the validity of that. Um, he, he could quite happily go over there and defend himself but he again says that he won't get a fair trial um you know this yeah. american witness that you found who stayed on the house yes. at the, that i had never heard of that lady before where she said that she saw his big black coat coat soaking in a bucket of water yeah she did she did give a police statement but again listen you know you know as well as i do that the problem with this case is that there were some errors made by the guardie? They just there just were. That's why there there, there remains these the, these these grey areas. You know, statements were not taken. You know, off 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 key people. You know, that, that character you mentioned in America, Ariana. You know, she couldn't believe that, given that she was in the house of the the main suspect. You know, the, the day you know during when this happened. Why? Why did the police only come to her a lot later and take a statement? Which is, you know, it, 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 it's, it's sadly the problem with this story is that you know it does happen. You know, it, it does happen in some cases where mistakes are made. We're all human, but I think that's another reason why this this story continues to play out did, as well as 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 well as Ian continuing to put himself at the centre of it. And did you get the impression while you were here that people in Ireland, particularly in West Cork, are very divided on what they believe or whom they believe? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's difficult. I mean, you know, understandably, I think a lot of them are just oh, we don't we don't want to talk about this anymore. You know, the, you're the you're you know you're the third lot of people to come trundling through our very small and beautiful village of, of of skull but i think i think when people knew that we were we were attempting to make this very you know with sophie's family we, we found things a, a lot a lot easier 
Um, but I, yeah, people are divided, and I think you show that at the end of the end of you know. I don't want to give away the end of the you know. There's there's not like there's a huge revelation, but there are people that do believe that Ian is innocent, and we 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 give them a voice. But I suppose uh, you know. He, he has to be innocent if he hasn't been found guilty in an Irish court. I mean, wasn't the French trial a bit of a farce, really, considering the evidence that was used of Marie Farrell, which he subsequently recanted and retracted, but yet the French ploughed on with it? You know, there wasn't much more yeah, than that, but, so there wasn't? Yeah, but why Why did Marie Farrell retract that evidence? <laughs> I don't why? know. Why? <laughs> well, I, yeah, well, I think we try, we, 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 you know, we, we do go to some length to explain you know as as detective dwyer says you know she kept the same story for all these years and then suddenly changed her mind and then when she changed her mind she she kept getting caught out in you know different versions of the change story which is you know was which seems a little telling in itself but yes again there is you know marie is another reason why this Again, sadly, this story will probably never have a resolution because you can't because she's changed her story now so many times. You can't take anything. That's right. You know, it, yeah. it, 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 it is harder to take what she said at face value. But it wasn't the French trial wasn't just based on Marie Farrell's testimony. It was based on the testimony of a lot of other people. But you know, again, you know, Neil. As I said, we're not. You know, we do not. You know, we don't set out to say this is the story of a man who is clearly guilty. That is not our film. Um, and ultimately, a viewer is left to make their mind. Oh, absolutely. Our, you know, and, 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 I, and I don't want to give too much away in advance. You're absolutely right before people have an opportunity to sit down and watch it. But who is the audience this time around? Is it because, as you say, a lot of, now there are a lot of int- new, new points brought to the fore, things that I hadn't known, things that I'd forgotten. Um, a lot of it we knew, but is is it a world audience that you're pitching to? Will this air all over the planet on Netflix? Yeah, yeah, Netflix have a have a have a have a global reach. I think it's something like 190 countries. So yeah, I mean, if people decide, you know, Netflix is is a different sort of broadcaster. They're a you know a streaming platform. They they work you know on the old algorithms, and if people decide that. That they start to find this interesting, it'll it'll spend more and more time on their front page, and more and more people will see it. And I I do think a lot of people, I know your audience will find this slightly incredulous, incredulous, but I think a lot of people do not know this story. And it is, you know, that's always the it's always a bit of a dilemma with a sort of true crime documentary because you know if you start talking about how great the story is, it, it starts to feel a little bit distasteful but it is still it's still a fairly extraordinary story it, you are very right there because i've been following and covering this story for 25 years and even in the last two weeks i've been talking with people on the air of a different generation to me who knew nothing about it and are only learning about it now it's like buses for 20 years nothing was happening and then a podcast comes along and two documentaries <laughs> you know i know but that 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 often happens, and I think that's one of the I think that's one of the um, you know the byproducts of this so-called gold rush of documentaries, which is great. You know, people like Netflix and Amazon and Apple and all these you know you know want documentaries. But what happens more and more is that you find that there are you know a couple of people making the same story. I mean, I had it myself on 
you know, I made a I made a film with the um, some of your listeners might be familiar with with the British um, journalist Louis Theroux. We yeah. made a film about um, uh, the Church of Scientology, and at the same time, um, a film was being made by the, the the great American documentary director Alex Gibney. But you know, that's fine. They, you know, I think I think there's room uh, if it's a good story, it's a strong story. There's there's room for different versions. And do you believe that? Telling. Do you believe that the French side of this, which would be Pierre Louis, uh, Bertrand, and and Sophie's very aged parents, do you think that they won't rest until they believe Bailey should be in a French jail? Well, I don't. You know, Pierre Louis certainly won't. I mean, he. You know, he says as much in the film. They. They. Yes. They. They. I mean, I think they want to bring. Ian Bailey to France for a proper trial. I mean, it's you know, Ian, uh, Ian Bailey has been found guilty in his absence in, in France. That doesn't just mean that if, if they take him to France, he gets put straight into prison. He then has a, a proper trial in France. That's what would happen. But sure, you can't um, bring somebody to another country to, to answer for a crime that wasn't committed in that country. It's bizarre. Yes, I agree with you. It is bizarre, but that is French law, and they have done that. So, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, again, it's another one of the peculiarities of this story, but that that is something that you can do in, in French law. So, are um, you, you know, again, we, we, we do question whether that should happen what, what, in, in the film. One, one point, and, and I won't keep you much longer, it's just a fascinating That's topic right. of conversation, um, because there, of course, is another woman in this story, and that's Jules Thomas, and you detail his um, his assaults upon her, and we see the injuries, uh, and there were there were numerous assaults, as, as we know, and you document. Um, she didn't feature in your in your documentary, or did I miss, did I miss it? Oh, no, 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 she didn't. She wouldn't speak to us. Okay. And, you know, ultimately we respected that. I mean, we, I think we made one approach to her and then Ian said to me, look, she's, she's, she won't talk to you guys. And I respect that. She doesn't, I mean, I'm not going to put someone in front of camera if they, if they, if they're conflicted about going in front of camera with us. That's, um, she just didn't want to. Gotcha. So yeah, that's yeah. fine. But yes, yeah, I'd, I'd have loved to have spoken to her about it but you know and that relationship sometimes. has come to an end uh, you're clearly aware of that and in conversation last week she said that um, he's looking for a house if he can't find somewhere to live he's going to live in a in a caravan huge price to be paid for a man found guilty of no crime well well I think you're I think you're being a bit disingenuous there because I think his his reasons for not living with Jules don't come down to him not being found guilty of this crime it's been True. it's been well established that he beat her several times and I've seen the photographs which we decided not to put in our film and they are they're horrific so Ian if anything yeah as you say he could very well be innocent of um um, I'm not talking about legally, but he did not. That he didn't kill Sophie, but he certainly he certainly beat Jules black and blue mm. several times. Mm. You know that's <laughs> that might be a reason he he'll find himself living in a caravan pretty soon. Mm. You know, not mm. not not the fact that he's listen again. We stress at the end of our film that Ian Bailey has not been found guilty in a British or Irish court of law, and we have certain people saying, you know. One character says, I think he's been found guilty of his personality. It may be as simple as that. But again, our series does present a view that there are still things that he hasn't possibly 
answered satisfactorily. Unanswered questions. I get you. I get you. Okay. John, thank you so much for taking the time out today. I appreciate you taking the call. Congratulations on the documentary. It airs on June 30th on Netflix. Have a good day. Angie, thank you, sir. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Text 0868104106. Um, we'll come back to a lot of other topics after 11, but on Friday we were chatting about scams and all of these bloody phone calls they're getting from people. Uh, we haven't used our landline for four years or more as there's no voice ID with it. Uh, my wife installed new batteries on Tuesday last. Since then, we've been getting three of these calls daily at least, all with UK ID numbers, with the last digit being the only different number. Like many people, we've been getting these calls consistently on our mobiles for years, but never a 0044. The fact they've only started coming into the landline makes me wonder if patients' contact phone numbers from the HSC hack have been sold on. It could well be the case. You know what? You could well be right. Um, Neil, if they do 50 calls a day and catch one person, it's a good day's work for them. It should be our public duty to string them along for as long as you can. Yes, we were wondering about that. We called us on the air on Friday who do string them along and make idiots out of them and waste their time. I registered for a vaccine this week. Next morning, I started getting prank calls. Never got one previously. Could it be possibly linked? Morning, I've received a lot of these 082, 083, 085, 087 number calls. I just swipe to decline and then I block. I wouldn't waste time out of my life to engage with them. Do as the guardy advise, ignore, says Shiona. These scam calls are from call centers in India and Nigeria. There was a documentary on BBC television about these guys. It's a business operated from huge call centers and operators are paid on results. Between the HSE hack and people's bank accounts being hacked, etc., etc. So much for so-called modern technology. If I could turn back to the good old days, I would. Uh, Neil, you need to check out Jim Browning on YouTube. He's a Northern Irish lad who hacks scammers while they're calling people. He turns on the scammers' webcams. It's brilliant, says Pat. Uh, John here, I'm a courier, and these crank calls to phones are making our jobs harder. People won't answer when we call them to see if they're around to deliver because they don't recognize the number. Morning, Neil. It's very hard running a small business with these scam phone calls going around. If you miss a call, it's now very hard to ring a number back in case it's a scam. So we're potentially losing business, especially with B&Bs, where a lot of business come from, phone calls. And that's from Mary from Cottage Heights B&B in Castletown Bear. Uh, morning. My daughter blocked about 10 or more mobile numbers from hackers, and they still ring her. If they ring once... Then they ring about three or four times the same day. She never answers. They keep ringing. Just one or two more. A bit of common sense must prevail here. Uh, how many, like, how many times do people have to hear non-legitimate phone calls? Not quite sure what you mean. Uh, what are you suggesting people to do? Just continue to ignore them? Uh, I've been getting these calls. I actually got an 086 number the other day. I blocked them all, but they keep coming. Don't answer any calls that I don't know. And one final one, my 14-year-old daughter is getting these calls as well, 083 numbers. My husband answered one of these calls and they said they were from social welfare investigating fraud. We're blocking all these numbers now without even answering, Susanna. Yeah, and I suppose within that then, you're probably blocking the odd legit number from someone who's trying to get, trying to get in touch. I mean, this can be very annoying. In an unconnected matter, though, and I'm not talking about anything to do with the phone calls or the scammers or anything, um, I found it extraordinary. 
that people still call to your door, particularly during what is still technically a pandemic, when people would be very, very wary of people calling to your door, particularly uh, people on behalf of charities who are asking you to sign up. I don't know whether many of you have, have these calling to the door, but I, I had a very interesting visitor last week um, from the Mercy Hospital Foundation. This chap called... Um, and I, and first of all, my, my daughter answered the door and she, he, he starts asking her about her age. I suppose you need to know that before you can carry on with the conversation. So she called me and I went out and he said that he was from the Mercy Hospital Foundation. And uh, I, I said, no, listen, I, I'll decline. I, I, I'm not interested. I, I, sign, I, I don't sign up for charities or give money out of the door for things like that. I do my own thing. And instead of saying, okay, thank you for your time, he said... You don't want to help the Mercy Hospital? And I kind of looked at him and said, no, you know, I said, I'd just pass if you don't mind. I just thought it was really, I thought his reaction was very hostile, as in, oh my God, you don't want to help the Mercy Hospital? Which which wasn't the case at all. I just didn't want to be signing up for a charity at the door or whatever the case may be, whether I give bank account details or hand over money. But I just thought, that's not the way to go about, you know, when you're call calling to people's doors. As to whether you should be call calling to people's doors or not, that's an entirely different matter. I don't know if many people get people visiting them or calling to the door like that with, with clipboards. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. We'll pick it up after 11. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And every day this week, 400 euro vouchers to give away. A 400 euro voucher every day for living dreams. They've got fabulous, modern, new, spacious showrooms behind the NCT at Little Island. And they're also on Facebook. Living dreams with a Z or a Z, depending on what side of the Atlantic you're on. So we're asking you to call, text, or email your funny, vivid, freaky, premonition-type dreams. Perhaps you dreamt of winning the lotto, and you did. Text 0868104106, and the best caller every day wins a 400-year voucher for living dreams. And you can put it to wherever you want in their wonderful showroom. 104 to 106 Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Oh, the laugh we had with mispronunciations last week and they keep on coming and much of it has to do with me and my <laughs> my own mispronunciations. Mind you, I don't accept this as being fair, Evelyn. She says, Neil, the other day you played a request for a friend of yours and you said, I want to wish ha- a big happy birthday to my buddy. Did you not know that the word is buddy? Well, there is a word buddy, Evelyn, but in Cork, there is a colloquial term called buddy. Uh, and it's not um, uh, a jam buddy. It's just a friend. And we say buddy in Cork, or at least we used to do. Maybe it's becoming uh, less fashionable, or less popular, but it's a Cork term, isn't it? How are you getting on, buddy? My old buddy, old pal. Anyway, um, I knew a person who always used to say, it's an awful state of a stairs <laughs> instead of state of affairs. <laughs> and another cork one. These aren't necessarily mispronunciations, but they are things that drive people crazy. I hate it when people say, do you know what I mean? Instead of, do you know what I mean? 
Well, I suppose a lot of it has to do with the fact that we talk so fast on Leaside. You know, we plough through the words. We shorten the words. We need to get them out there. That's why sometimes uh, you'll find, um, you know, the Cork language or the Cork spoken word needing subtitles, I suppose. Anyway, lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. So we started on hospitality this morning, and uh, it's looking more and more likely that some announcement will be made tomorrow by the government that will push back indoor hospitality from the fifth of July to probably closer to, I imagine, the twentieth of July. So we'll come back to those texts, but we have calls as well. Chris, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you in hospitality? Or are you just talking on behalf of those who are struggling in hospitality? Well, I am in hospitality. Uh, have a small restaurant. Um, well, um, Neil, do you know what? Um, like four weeks ago, I, 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 tra- I travelled. That uh, I was within Europe. It was it was mainly for work purposes. Okay. And then I, uh, well, I stayed in a hotel at uh, Dublin Airport. I actually live in Cork because there was no flights um, in Cork at the moment. Okay. So, so um, I stayed in a hotel. Everything is operating normal. I mean, you know, the restaurants and everything. So uh, I literally stayed there for a day and then I, I, I took the bus the next day. And within the um, hotel, everything was open, yeah, to residents. Exactly. So then um, it's not because I have a business. I have nothing against the hotel anyway. So um, it's just a question like, um, what are they doing differently that the restaurant cannot do. I mean, why is there two kinds of rules for two, you know, groups of people, I say, you know, and that, that's the question. I mean, I, it doesn't make sense to me. Does, does that make sense to you? I don't know. Well, I suppose maybe they might say that re- that hotels are big, vast buildings with lots of square footage and restaurants and the inside of a small pub is a smaller, more restricted space, maybe? Um, but... Uh, if someone has, let's say, for example, someone has the Delta variant, um, how are they safer in a hotel, and um, how does that, um, how is that not safe uh, if if they go to a restaurant? Well, having stayed, I was in, I was in the Eccles Hotel in Glengariff for a couple of nights, and you book your okay. breakfast time, and they have stage settings for breakfast, and you book your, you book your dinner time, and they have stage settings. You know, they wouldn't have a, the restaurants aren't full at any one particular time. Uh, you know, you don't. There's no bar counter. Actually, the more I think of it, it's the same in a pub. There'd be no bar counter service. You wouldn't be sitting on a stool at the bar. Yeah. I, I can't answer your question with any, with the, you know, I mean, I can see the flaws that you're describing, you know, I can. Yeah, I mean, what, why, why, like, um, I, I'm pretty sure there are lots of restaurant owners that can put a system in place that the hotels are doing. I mean, in a way, they they are safer. Like if 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 if, if someone in a hotel has has uh, has the virus, or is a carrier, whatever, and they are walking around. Uh, how? Do yeah, you but not that? as not as like, <laughs> the, from my own experience, I was never really yeah. close to anybody in the hotel. Uh-huh. You know, whereas I probably uh-huh. would be. And in a pub, it's many people will just go to drink, and they say that people would let their guard down with drink. You know. Uh-huh. Well, so so that doesn't apply to the if, if they're having a drink at the bar in the hotel or in the restaurant. I feel for you, man. I really do. Considering <laughs> that the rest of Europe has indoor hospitality and we don't, I know. And you're in the business. I understand. Yeah, I mean, like, see, I'm I'm trying to to try to make sense out of this. It's just it doesn't like. Um, 
I mean, I do say it like there there are rules for two different groups here. I mean, you know, if you're a hotel, you have more space or whatever. Is it, you know, are they doing something that we cannot do? Yeah, I know. I know. And you just know? before I let you go, when you went yeah. overseas, uh, wh- wh- yeah. where, where did you go and were you in hospitality overseas? I was, yeah. Um, I was actually in Ukraine and... Um, so I did my test prior to leaving the country. I wasn't there for long anyway. Man, there. I'm not. I'm not going to be your judge and jury on that one. You don't have to defend yeah. yourself to me. I'm yeah. just wondering what was the experience like. Oh, it, everything was normal over there. I mean, everything was normal. Except that, uh, of course, you take your own responsibility. You wear your mask where you have to. And you know, the hotel was fine. There was no, you know, it wasn't overcrowded or anything. Um, I went to a restaurant. I had, you know, went around and everything was normal. I didn't see anything that wasn't normal. And um, every every restaurant was, they were taking, you know, proper, you know, measures that, you know, uh, sanitizing after a table, you know, someone had their lunch or their dinner. So they were doing everything that, you know, um, that was and the bars were done. the bars were open and everything. Everything was open, and you yeah. didn't have hundreds of people congregating outdoors in these so-called illegal no. gatherings drinking. Yeah, no, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Um, I like there were there were group uh, you know two guides with uh, groups of tens and or fifteens whatever. But um, nothing was overcrowded. I mean, I don't know if, if uh, you know, giving people the, lib- the the freedom to kind of move around, uh, you know, if, if I'm given the freedom to move around, maybe I will take, I will be a bit more responsible to say, look, I don't want to lose this freedom, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't know. know if that's just a mindset or, okay. you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's just a question that like, I can do what, you know, the hotels are doing, take, you know, maybe reducing the capacity to, I don't know, if I was doing 20, I can do, I can do certainly do 14 now, you know, take, just, just let, you know, you know, it's enough is enough. Give us that it's time to change a bit, you know. So that, I think that's just, just me, I don't know. Okay, thank you for that. If hotels can do it and their bars and restaurants can do it, why can't all of the restaurants? Thank you for that. Kieran is standing by. First up, Sinead, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Cork chap who wants to come home for the weekend and couldn't find anywhere to book a restaurant. He was using Open Table, which is um, a, a booking site for restaurants, is it? It is indeed, yeah. Um, I suppose just to contextualise why I was putting in was um, I've had a lot of clients because I have eventing management and actually we're two today. Um, Okay, well, happy birthday. uh, Thank you. Um, um, But obviously we're mainly events, but obviously we had to do a turnaround uh, during the pandemic. So we started doing website design, which I've been doing for years, but I've never charged anyone for so I was in a past life in the bar trade and the restaurant industry, so I'd know a lot of the, the heads in Cork mm. um, and ended up doing their new websites and all the rest. So it, what is funny, the open table thing, is, it does seem to be in Dublin, uh, but it's actually far more American and European. The We're here in Ireland, table pass, outside of Dublin, table pass and Red Diary are two of the most popular ones. So when you go to those collective sites, they're actually more suited to like an American style platform, if you get my meaning. So I was only kind of texting in to let him know he'd actually be even better. One of the websites we did was the Cork City Shopping, which is a free site. 
and businesses are allowed to advertise there for completely free as well. And under the restaurant and cafe tab, I think there's like 40 odd restaurants even listed there. And that's constantly expanding. And um, uh, yeah, but he was saying that even though he did go on to a thing called, um, what, what was it? Uh, which one he used? Was it OpenTable.com? Open yeah. yeah. He said that only two, he could only find two Cork restaurants that would allow him to book a table. Are you saying that he yeah, was on the wrong platform? Exactly, that's the thing. There's only probably two restaurants listed on Open Table using that platform. And what should he be on? Restaurant Diary or something? Red Diary or else uh, Table Pass. But he's better off, like if he was to go to, for the sake of coming down to Cork for the weekend, or anyone looking to book, go on to www.corkcityshopping.com. There's over 40 odd restaurants, there's pubs there, there's all the different categories of businesses in Cork. It's completely free to use. You get directly into the, the website of the client and you can just use their individual booking system. Corkcityshopping.com, is it? Dot com, dot yeah. com, yeah. yeah. Okay. And like, it's one of those things that, you know, for me, I'm always like, what's the easiest way for a person to, to get more business? And when I'm chatting to clients, I'm always saying that, you know, you've got to adapt and you've got to move on, you know? And that's been a huge part of business life for, well, not just business life, but personal life as well, for all of us. As well, well, well done for reinventing, Sinead Dunphy, and congratulations on that. I mean, you, like, let's not, let's not forget as well, you want to get a booking somewhere, pick up the phone and see if they're exactly. booking I mean, tables. I was laughing, like, here, hearing the, the guy this morning, because I just felt, you know, he... He's about to come down to Cork, which and Owen was on earlier, and I'm actually on the board for Cork Business Association with Owen. Um, and you know, like as Owen said, this, you know, Cork is showing to be a destination. We're ahead of the curve, and but what you can really see when you go down on the street, people want to chat to you. So pick up the phone, talk to a restaurant or a host or whatever. In Cork, we're blessed. We have people that actually like people. Yeah. And, and you know what? We're generally found. That's a, so good, that's st- that's a good start. Okay. All right. Thanks, Sinead. Thanks for taking the call. No worries, Cheers. Yeah, we're you. sound. That'll be the quote of the day. We're sound in Cork. Back after the break, one 850 Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red. FM. Regarding uh, the likes of Stephen Donnelly or Paul Reed, Donnelly is a mechanical engineer and Paul Reed spent much of his life work working as a union shop steward. Of course, he did get promoted. Now they are leading our health service and telling us how to live our lives. I, for one, am sick to death of it. Now hospitalizations are almost zero and vaccines are here. It's still not good enough for them. Time to get our lives and jobs back. Uh, these guys aren't on a 350 pup for the last 16 months. Thank you for that text, 0868104106. A lot then uh, from Friday's programme with regards to um, what we loosely called anti-social behaviour and what have you. I noticed an increase of Gardaí on patrol in Cork City. Maybe not enough, but I've noticed an increase. I live in the city. This is uh, George. I don't know, but it's always a good idea to say, to say hello and thank you to the Gardaí. On the point of children not being home in the late 60s and 70s, when I would have been only seven or eight, we would never be home in the summer holidays. Um, we would be on the outskirts of towns and the fields, playing games of war, climbing trees, riding mopeds down dirt tracks. We'd go home for dinner and my mum would come and find me at nine in the evening on her bike and she'd sit me on the rack over the back wheel and take me home. Incidentally, it was her birthday yesterday. She would have been 91. Olive was her name. 
great days, says George. And that's in response to many people who say parents need to know where their kids are. Well, years ago, they didn't know and didn't need to know. We have a great community guard in Passage West. He's working and living in Passage. He's contactable all of the time. He knows everyone and people like and trust him. The kids know him as Timmy the Guard. We are so lucky to have him. Community guards really do work. And then on the sentencing of Dave Barry last week, listening to your conversation with Barry Roach in the Irish Times about the paedophile that got five years, I was abused and raped when I was 12. My abuser still walked free as the guards could do nothing about it. So I could only get a civil case against my abuser. The laws in this country need to change. Drug dealers get more time in prison than scum that they let walk the streets. I'm still haunted at 41 and it has affected my life in every way. I abused drugs, I got jailed and all because I was abused and my life was affected by what happened to me. So now I'm a survivor. But my life will never be the same and the likes of these people should get the injection to castrate the men that have abused young boys. They should be given very long prison sentences and I think the judge should have given more. Five years and two suspended why, why, why? And that text 0868104106. Thank you for all of those. Um, and a lot more besides, which I will come back to throughout the course of the morning. Just one quick one. The need for guardy on the streets is essential. In England, they use parish police in towns and villages. It stops antisocial behavior. I think what you would call that is old-fashioned coppering, isn't it? These low lives and scumbags have been dragged up just like their parents were dragged up before them. What's going on is an absolute disgrace. Uh, these tulls need to be dealt with as they will progressively get worse. Garda hands are tied as the judicial system in this country is a farce. If they try to reprimand these underage thugs, it's the guards that would be brought to court. The government has made us a soft nanny state, more concerned about lining their own pockets than dealing with the scum because it's not worth the hassle. It's far easier to catch the working class people doing 52 in a 50 zone. It's a money racket at this stage. Love the show. Keep up being the goat of Irish radio. G-O-A-T. Would somebody please explain to me what the goat of uh, Irish radio means? I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming and hoping that it's a compliment. Um, actually, speaking of compliments, can I please pass on my compliments to Chef David, who, with his wife Anna, left New York behind forever to head to West Cork to launch their new personal dining and pop-up services for Cork food lovers. Uh, I endeavour to talk to many, many people who have changed or flipped their business or reinvented themselves, particularly over the last 15 months. Chef David joins me by phone. Chef, good morning. Good morning. I actually think that I saw you off in the distance at a market in Skibbereen. Skibbereen. You did. You did. I saw you. It was back in, um, I think it was just after the uh, the new year. Ah, oh, it's got pity you didn't give me a holler. Anyway, tell tell me, here you I'll, are I'll now. Tell, I'll tell you there, if you want to know what goat is, it's the greatest of all time. <laughs> is that what I'm, <laughs> tells you how far out of touch I am. Is that what G-O-A-T means? <laughs> I, a, a client's son called me that after making a few dinners. So I, I had to find out what it meant as well. Well, thank you. You put me out of my misery. G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. <laughs> oh, man, I feel great now. Okay, so what were you doing before this? A decade um, private dining on chartered yachts in the Caribbean, really? Yeah, yeah. I um, 
I went to New York in 2010 and um, worked in a few restaurants there before starting um, working on yachts in um, New Jersey. And um, from there, continued to the Mediterranean and did um, two seasons in the Mediterranean on um, private yachts where we would travel the the entirety of the Mediterranean by the end of the summer. Um, And then from there, that would have been 2012 and 13. And then from there, went back to um, the States and started cooking on another yacht there and um, continued cooking for that client for six years. And Now, uh, I mean, you obviously aren't in a position to tell me the clients, and I respect that, but I, I'm assuming we're talking about high-end, very wealthy people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Money, no uh, object, like, kind of thing. Money, no object. You're right. There's, there's a lot of uh, non-disclosure agreements. Um, I could tell you vaguely about a couple of them, I suppose, but no names. And Okay, vaguely will do me yeah. fine. I'm nosy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd say the, the biggest one I had would have been um, in one of the Mediterranean seasons and they were a Kuwaiti family um, in the billions. Um, I worked for the sun and I worked on the sun's boat, which was 40 metres. Oh, um, I think when they reached the boat, there was seven crew working on board. They brought another six staff with them and then we took on another two staff to cover all the staff that was coming so I think the family of two with four children had 15 staff running around them at any one time um, drivers PAs bodyguards the works yeah yeah but were um, they happy like um, I, I suppose they were they were billionaires um, billionaires it's like another world and would they be very fussy uh, yes Yes, um, he liked everything, the best of everything. He said, um, for instance, one thing was cheese. He said, he, uh, it's, it's a waste of calories if it's not the best. That's what he said to me. It's a waste of calories if it's not the best you can find. So that was the kind of the marker that's, that was to live up to, to find the best of everything. For yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, was there one stage when you went, talk to me about this Mercedes story. What was that about? So he, um, we were in uh, San Remo, which is just a, just close to the border of um, France and Monaco. And um, so we had to go to uh, Monaco to pick up a brand new Mercedes. Like, it's like one of the really fancy um, sports cars, one of the two-seaters. So we were put in, uh, I, was, I just came along for the ride for us. But um, we got into the um, got into his cigarette boat and flew over and picked his up what? What is a cigarette boat? Forgive me. A cigarette boat. It's a type of speedboat. It's a forty foot speedboat <laughs> with about a, with about a thousand horsepower on the back of it. Massive <laughs> engines and the thing does about fifty knots an hour, super fast. And we flew over from San Remo to pick up his new uh, to bring over the driver and and pick up his new Mercedes and. You know, it was things like that nearly every day. His know? latest and, toy. Uh, the latest toy, exactly. So these these super wealthy clients, in, in the case of Kuwait, was that money made from oil? Um, it wasn't, and, I, and that's where I leave it. <laughs> so were <laughs> the others like, were the others yeah. property magnets, tech billionaires, um, uh, Hollywood um, stars? I worked for an artist, um, an artist I've worked for CEOs a lot of CEOs different types of uh, executives um, not a lot of musicians i come across a couple of actors along the way but um, no one no one huge I suppose but 
um, a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, executives. You know, spoke to a chef actually some years back on, on this program who did something similar to you, and he did work for a lot of, uh, you know, um, people within the music business, and once had a charter with uh, with um, Mick Jagger. He said Mick mm-hmm. Jagger was the nicest, soundest, kindest person he ever met. Oh, lovely! Yeah, yeah. You can find some really nice ones. Like, like even on that boat, we were prepared. We were told there's a person, there's a guest coming. He, I think he was the third or fourth richest person in the world at the time, another um, Kuwaiti. And he came on board. He wouldn't let them do anything for him. He made his own bed, everything. <laughs> and, and he went away the following day and everyone got a 500 euro note as a tip. That's my kind of and, guy. And that's all we saw. But very, like very nice, very down to earth. And were they, were they cranky about the food? Were they always happy with it? Would you have been nervous? Oh, very, you, you would be. You'd, like you'd have to be on point and you'd have to be ready and the dinner would have to be ready by 10 and he might come to the table and just as the main course is coming down, he'd walk away and take a phone call for half an hour. And things like that. So, like you, you, you have to be ready for anything, and it's a uh, yeah, very, very changeable. And um, you just have to be on, on your toes all the time, you know. All that wealth and to want for nothing—it mm. must be an incredible thing, mm. you know. I mean, and, I mean, yeah. how how do they spend all of that money? Just the latest toy, the latest thing. Bye, bye, bye. The, the latest thing. The boat would be refitted nearly every year. All all the new equipment and all the new iPads would come in every every season, and all the new everything. So, and yeah. like, what about the kids then? Would they be well reared or saucy, spoiled brats? It's it's I've, all the kids that I've ever worked for have been very well mannered. Um, and it's, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it was, I wouldn't say surprising, but it, it's, it's, it's always great to see that there, I suppose that like in, in, in the instance of that family, they had three nannies for the four kids. So I think it's, uh, they so who's rearing, like who's rearing the children? Like, well, they've got three nannies, I suppose, you know, <laughs> <laughs> nannies working in shift. Yeah. And all together. Yeah. All right, so you're originally from Cork. Is it Douglas you're from? I'm from Douglas, yeah, Donnybrook. Okay, and now you're back again. And what are you doing now? It's a million miles away from the experience you just described. Um, it's a million miles. We're trying to provide the same service, and it's just trying to um, it's just trying to uh, just alter the uh, the format to fit Ireland, you know. And see how I can provide how I can provide this food and provide this service to um, to the Irish people and to, and to make it fit. And who's the market? And, uh, um, at the moment, our market is holiday makers and everyone down in West Cork. And um, we've got a very busy summer coming up, um, and um, and a lot of different offerings as well. You will be creating personal dining experiences for people in West Cork. And doing mm-hmm. pop-up dinners at Three Castles Head, is that right? Um, we're doing pop-up dinners at Three Castles Head. Um, we also have a marquee and a food truck set up in Glen Sala Gardens, which is just outside of Ballady Hob. And that's the same. It's the same dinner, but you have um, you have a twelve-seater mar- uh, a twelve-seater mar- marquee that has two tables of six, and you're overlooking this beautiful vista. Of the countryside, it's in a field with the with the food truck next to it, and then you can come in and you can have your meal 
and sit there and, ha- and have your scenery for the night. Because people will be staying very much within their county this summer. They are already. We can see so. that. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. What's the um, and what's the food offering? And um, we're doing an eight at the moment. We're doing an eight course tasting menu. So um, yeah, it's quite a. And we're using all of the um, like, for instance, now at Glenzella Gardens. I'm getting on. I'm getting a lot of my produce from Glenzella Gardens as well. So we're calling it Tunnel to Table. So he has four tunnels of vegetables growing. Richard Spear is his name. He's got four tunnels of vegetables growing on one side of the road. And then we're inside in the fields on the other side of the road. And the vegetables will be picked amazing. within an hour of the dinner. And oh, my God. It's, it's, all, it's all very nice. That's amazing, know. isn't it? I was down, at, then, uh, I was down in yeah. Dursey at the cable car and Murphy's have this, uh, I wouldn't call it a chip fan. It's a lot more than that. It's, it's an incredible mm. offering. But... They're fishermen, so the hake that you're getting, you know, the uh, the monk that you're getting, the haddock that you're getting, caught that morning. It's just incredible yeah. experience, you know. Yeah. So yeah. fresh, and what you know, what's your what's your price point then? Um, the eight course tasting menu is a hundred euro. Um, it's uh, similar to some of the more up, upscale restaurants around uh, West Cork, mm. but the offering is as well, and. Um, and we provide all the servers and um, there's also wine pairing um, available for these dinners as well. So we'd have the, we have our license up in um, Three Castle Head and we will have wine pairings for the eight course tasting as well. So. Okay. And if, yeah, I mean, I'd go for that, particularly if you're providing all of the staff and everything. And if people wanted a book across the summer, how can they do that? Um, so you can call, um, if you, you can go on to um, chefdavis.com. And um, Anna, my wife, she's in charge of all the bookings, and um, so um, our numbers are there. And um, yeah, she, you can you can reach us through the website, and um, and then we'll have availability. We can tell you what's what's up and what's coming. And, okay, so a good a good yeah, place to yeah. start is chefdavit.com, as in D A V I T T dot com, isn't it? That's it, yeah, yeah. And I will post that on our social media platforms and the 087 number as well. And, you know, is this something you're doing now as we go through the back end of COVID or, like, do you intend to go into a bricks and mortar business after that or what? Um, I think there, well, I won't go into it too much, but um, there's there's some movements all, all right around the brick and mortar. All right. But um, still in the early stages, but... We could circle circle around to that at a later date. Well, let's do that. Okay. Well, listen, it's good to catch up. Great story. Chef Davit with two T's.com if people are heading west across the summer. Good to catch up. Thank you so much, Thanks David. Thank you very much, Neil. Cheers, my man. Talk to you Regards to Bye-bye. you and to, uh, and to Anna. Um, we'll post those phone numbers. Uh, if you want the contact numbers, I'll give it out just before midday, but all of that will be up on our social media platforms. Chef David. Dot com. It's just an interesting story how you can flip your business and flip your life as well. Big change. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Thank you so much for sharing this shout out to the chap who stopped his car to help an old man with crutches and shopping bags at the Bandon Road roundabout outside Duns. Can I tell you that not all heroes wear capes. That's a lovely act of kindness. Thank you for sharing it on this business as to whether or not we're going to be delayed by a fortnight and those work.
working in hospitality, etc., etc. If the reopening is delayed, I hope the publicans of Cork and Ireland take a lawsuit against the government and sue them back to the Stone Age, says Paddy. Richie says, what lessons have been learned over the course of the past 16 months by the very people who ought never to have learned such lessons? As in, it should never have happened. Although the weight of scientific research proves that the public wearing of masks has no impact on the spread of a virus, people will wear them if told to do so by a figure in authority, regardless of the overwhelming weight of expert opinion to the contrary. If the powers that be control the avenues through which information is disseminated, they can convince an otherwise educated, intelligent population of anything they like if they control the avenues of information. Fundamental freedoms forged in the furnace of bloodshed and warfare, won through the bravery of our forefathers, would be forfeited in the face of a manufactured hardship. These have been lessons learned and not soon forgotten by the very most powerful and dangerous people on the planet, the consequences of which will be exploited for generations to come. Thank you for that, Richie. By text 0868104106. My heart breaks for you, pal. Um, he says, I recently, and he sent me a photograph uh, also. He says, I recently started a new graduate role with a reputable company based in Cork City. On interviewing me, the company, I asked the HR professional about the dress code, to which he replied, office wear. I then went out and spent over 300 euro on office wear, only for a new dress code to be landed a week into the job. I've been told my look is unprofessional. So today I'm at home without pay because of how I come to work. Pictures of my unprofessional look are attached. The dress code is also attached. Don't give them my details of the show. I don't have um, pictures of the dress code, but I do have a picture of you in the gear that you bought and spent 300 euro on. I think it's perfect. I mean, I think you're very, very smartly dressed. Got a beautiful pair of trousers on or, or chinos. You got fabulous brown shoes on. I love them. And you got a slim fit shirt. I mean, that to me is office wear. I mean, what are they suggesting office wear is? Like, what is office wear if it's not what you're wearing? Is it a tracksuit? Is it a suit? Is it shorts? I mean, I think it's bizarre. But thank you for it nonetheless. I think if you're asking me whether I think you've been wronged or not, I do think you've been wronged. And somebody else sent me a photograph too, only in Cork. It's a stop sign. You know the ones with the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, the octagonal shaped sign. And it says stop, as in car, stop. But somebody has gone and graffitied it and put up, ah, stop, lad. Ah, stop, lad. Only in Cork. I love it. Keep those coming. Text 0868104106 and send us an attachment things that you see. Right across this week, courtesy of ourselves and living dreams, we have 400 euro vouchers to give away every single day. You can then go spend your 400 euro voucher on anything you wish at Living Dreams. So we're talking about all sorts of beautiful, beautiful sofas, Irish handmade furniture, mattresses and beds. And they're open daily 11 to 4, Monday to Saturday and 2 to 5 on Saturdays. Uh, Sorry. Monday to Saturday is 11 to 4 and 2 to 5 on Sundays. So courtesy of ourselves and Living Dreams, Little Island, just behind the NCT. 400 euro vouchers for the best dream stories. Of course, it would be dreams. We're talking about Living Dreams. So Jim is standing by. Maria is standing by. Gemma, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Was it a visit or a dream? Which was it? 
It was... I'm not too sure. I'm hoping a visit. <laughs> what do you recall of it? I mean, were you very young? I was only about 10 or 11, yeah. All right. Okay. Tell me about it. So I had just gone down to bed and was asleep. Um, and from what I can remember, I was woken up. It was my great-grandmother that was there. Now, she would have been alive. I would have known her. I would have seen her and been chatting to her when she was alive. So I would have known her. Um and she told me to, you know, don't be afraid. I'm just here. Let your family know that Granda will be okay. So Granda was her her son. only child, her yeah. son, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was and alive when she came to he visit He was alive, you. yeah, yeah. So being 10 or 11 and completely freaked out by this, I ran up to the kitchen to my mom to tell her what had happened. And she actually then told me that they didn't tell us grandkids because they didn't want us to worry. But granddad was actually in a coma in hospital. <gasps> That's freaky. So, yeah. <laughs> so he did a few days later come true and he was grand. Lived many, many years after that. Sadly has passed on now since. But she was it was just lovely that she was still looking out for her her one and only. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I always remember it. So yeah, it was nice. It's scary, but And nice. what did your mother think when you said Oh, she just started your, crying, so I knew there was something. Your, you, you, you told your mother, great granny visited me in a dream and said, Grandel be okay. Well, I mean, how did she react to that? She just started crying straight away and then told me out of shock. Like, they didn't want to tell us grandkids because we were so young, but I think out of the shock of me saying, because I had no clue that he was in hospital, that that kind of shocked her and, and, and relief as well. And then about, I think about two, three days or maybe less later, he was all grand again. And the doctors actually said that he was, when he was coming round, that he was counting out loud. Uh, he started counting out loud and saying his grandkids' names over. They were saying, Joey's oh, very clever. He knew there was something wrong. And he was trying to focus on something or keep his brain active. Right. So, yeah, it was strange. <laughs> and you had no knowledge absolutely. in advance of going to bed that he was in hospital? No, no, absolutely no clue. Amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. A visitation from the other side. That yeah. everything will be all right. It'll be hard to beat. Thanks for that one, Gemma. Hang in there, Jim. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Wow, there's oh, some really oh, freaky oh. dreams out there. Well, this is more scary and funny. And, and to, to the funny side of what I look at, I was at my own wake. I was looking down at myself inside in the coffin. You had a dream you were dead. Yeah, I did. And I was looking down and... I was kind of, kind of happy to the truth because I see all of my friends coming in and they're shaking hands with my relations. And But the funny side of it was there was this particular individual who came in who I wouldn't have to speak to with five or six years because he'd done me wrong. And um, he was explaining to my relations how nice I felt I was and you know, he was glad to know me and he was very sorry for my troubles and all that, you know. Oh, so there was sound as well as vision in the dream. Was there? there was. You could... I had the whole lot. I had the whole lot. But the funny thing about it, he gave about two minutes talking to my relations and shaking hands. And look, you're a lovely fellow. We'll miss him dearly. And what happened next really freaked me out. I walked in behind him. <laughs> God, he got the fright of his life, I'd say. Neil has only happened a few months ago. And, and All right, so in the dream, you walk in to your own, into the... I guess it was the funeral parlour, was it? 
Tons of funerals, and I walked into my own week. But you see, and now, but wait a second. Were, did people react to you in the dream? Nobody reacted, only him. So I, I'm thinking to the good Lord made him suffer. That's what and, I'm and do you think that he was a hypocrite? I, clearly, I don't oh, want to know who the guy... Of the highest caliber. <laughs> but maybe he was remorseful and was genuinely sorry that you had fallen out. I don't remember him leaving the building. Because all of a sudden, in my dream, shattered. It went. It went. But I've met him since, and we've sp- spoken since. But I'm waiting, maybe, <laughs> till the wet pubs up and get over a few pints, and then I'll tell him exactly <laughs> what happened. <laughs> 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 and he, he, he might have a different outlook, outlook on life than me. You know. He so you're have. you're looking down. Could you see yourself in the coffin? I could see. This me. And How did you look? I mean, were you were you a presentable the shop, corpse? The shagging shot I hear this. The shop, the shop they put on me, I hate it. What? The guy, yeah, you know, talk about cutting costs, like. <laughs> I once came across a funeral where somebody said to somebody, you're not burying him in that, that's way too good. <laughs> yeah, well, this, this, could, this shop now probably came over a phone shop or something, I don't know. I'm, maybe they I'm, didn't want, maybe they didn't want to waste a good shirt on you. Yeah. And, and I, I, I still don't know whether I had shoes on or not. I don't know. I, I, but I said, they, they, look, twas the, twas just looking down and seeing people coming in, it was kind of soothing. But when I saw your man coming in the door, I you, said, no, here goes. And you might find it, that funny, but I would regard that as a nightmare. If in a dream I saw myself in a coffin... Yeah, sure. Look, it's going, it's going to happen someday. Ah, oh, yeah, but I, I don't. I don't think I'd want to know how I'd look dead in a coffin. Well, <laughs> you just... see, to, 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 I, I, I'm not kidding. You. This individual that was there, I'd say he wish he was inside of that me. <laughs> <laughs> but he was he was so polite to my 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 relations and how and the, it was the way he was buttoning them up like it got me. And I, I, I could do nothing about it, but all of a sudden... He know, might have been there for the afters, you know? You don't know whether you had... You know, after you died, you don't know whether they had a big shindig with dinner and a free bar or anything, do you? I don't think so, no. <laughs> my cold wouldn't do that. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Thanks, James. It's an incredible story. Maria. Hi, Neil. How are you? You're getting the jab today. Is it number one or number two? Number two, I'm afraid. Second one. Ah, you'll be grand. Parky Cueve, is it? <laughs> Down a parky tree, yeah. So last night you had a dream about it, is it? Oh, I did, Jack. Yeah, I'm anxious as it is getting it. But um, I went out to parky cleave anyway. And <laughs> next minute, Joe, and they say, yeah, and they say, right, you can go up the stairs or you go up the lift. But the first time I went up the stairs, so this time I said, I go up the lift now. So next minute, I went up the lift anyway. And when I opened, the lift door opened. Next minute, all I was like, there was all the zombies. There were all biting each other, they were killing each other and everything. And next minute we see the army fellas with their suits on and then we see the people who were giving the jobs, like the doctors or the nurses, wherever they everyone was there. And they were all like zombies going <laughs> around the place. And I swear to God, I was actually panicking. Next minute I was trying to close the lift door anyway. So I was closed and there was one coming towards me. Next minute his hand had gone in. Next minute the lift closed, his hand fell out and drove <laughs> in. In the lift and everything, and I was panicking. So you're in the so lift with an arm, is it? I was in the lift with a moving arm, going left to right. It was like something out of a zombie movie. I, I I you're making these up. <laughs> you're making these up, lads, for a 400 euro voucher. No, this is actually true. I was telling the girls this morning, and there were stitches, and they were saying, Jesus, me and I was doing a 400 euro voucher for... Uh, <laughs> 
All right, so... Please leave him, so... Did, so yeah, I was still moving anyway inside the lift, so I kept pressing the button, so I got down to the ground floor anyway. <laughs> when I got out, there was no one there, and I was like, oh my God, what will I do, what will I do? So I went out into the car park, there seemed to be no one there, everyone seemed to be in the building. <laughs> so that's when I seen a bike, and her I was cycling away on the bike, trying to get away and just walk off then and I was awake on it and I had to get up to work then this morning half a five. <laughs> but, so you never got in the dream with the zombies, you never got your second dose of vaccine, no? Oh, I don't know, no, because my second dose was today so I debate, no, whether I go down or not. So you didn't get, you didn't get vaccinated by a zombie doctor in the end or anything, no? No, nothing, nothing at all, thank God, but I, I ah. might have been the only one who survived this, I think. Did you, <laughs> did you ever watch the TV series The Walking Dead? Always, yeah, and I watched loads of zombie movies, so I said that's probably it. But it's the same if I went yeah, to I think you, I think you went bad cheese or something yeah. before you went to bed oh. last night. <laughs> and I know a glass of wine or nothing, so jeez. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know about you guys. These are too good to be. What? These dreams are too good, you know. It's as if. I know, uh, but I'd be afraid not to get my second vaccine out there. So I don't know afterwards to get my second one. I'd be looking around the place. I, I can guarantee you, there's no zombies down there. <laughs> one person down there is nicer than the next. They're all lovely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, hang, hang in there. We'll see what happens. Great story nonetheless. Valerie yeah hi I'm, I'm going to run out of time so I'll do more of these stories tomorrow. go ahead um, is it what kind of a dream scary funny no, it, erotic funny. It, no erotic ones would be nice wouldn't they kind of weird but funny funny well the long shot of it is Neil I walked into a bedroom and there in the bed was Nathan Carter the singer talking to some tall blonde woman called Cleona Hayes <laughs> There is no such Cleona Hayes as someone I met up. I hope to and God there's no Cleona Hayes because I'm in trouble if there is. Not a real person, <laughs> but a tall no, blonde no, woman. I, I had it in my head in the dream. She was a singer and he, he was after going off with her. And I got really angry and I started boring a shelter to him. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? And then my So they were only chatting? Went, yeah, I, no. I just, all right, I all right. Well, we'll leave it at I the remember. only chatting if you don't mind. <laughs> Yeah, we leave it at the only chat, you know. But you know, I then looked at the bottom of the bed, and the strange thing was there was a car- life size. No, it wasn't just a small one. A life size cardboard cutout of Mike Murphy. You know, from Winning Streak, smiling yeah. like with the pose, looking at angle towards the bed, and I was like, "What is going on?" And then I woke up. I was like, "That is just odd." No, that's. I've had a few odd dreams. Nathan was, Carter and Mike Murphy in the same dream is odd. It, it is odd. It is odd. And I'd probably get a call from a Cleona Hayes, who is a tall blonde woman who doesn't even know Nathan Carter. Yes. Yeah. But that's my funny story, you know. <laughs> okay. Keep them coming, lads. Text 0868104106. You can always email your dream. Email neil at uh, redfm.ie. We have 400 euro vouchers every day this week, courtesy of Living Dreams, and they won't be beaten for quality and value. We'll pick a winner after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. So the, that's the kind of level we're at. Super stories on dreams like that. Unfortunately, we can only have one winner. It's 400 euro voucher a day, courtesy of ourselves in Living Dreams Furniture and Bedding, Little Island. And we have chosen um, Maria O'Gorman's story in Greenmount, who had an awful night dreaming about zombies uh, chasing her. <laughs> chasing her up, Forky Queef. She's going down for the second job. 
No disrespect to the others. The other stories are great too. But I thought she told that particularly well in fairness to her. So 400 euro voucher from Rio Gorman. If you do want to share your own stories, the best way to do it, if at all possible, is by email. So tell us the story by email and leave a phone number for us to call you back. So email with your dreams, neil at redfm.ie. Leave a number, um, call us back. If you don't have email, then text. It's probably not best to phone on this, but you can text if you wish. 0868104106. For me, I, I'm just cursed with the inability to remember dreams. Like the closest I can come to it is I'll have the dream and I'll wake up from it and I'll say, oh my God, that was a dream. And I'll remember the dream in that moment when I wake up. But when I wake up later on and get up and go about my business, I have absolutely no recollection. Some people are amazingly blessed with recall of dreams. I'm just not one of them. I mean, I have other very positive and lovable attributes. I, I know all of that. But dreams aren't one of them. So I'll leave you with that. Our lines will stay open. Text 0868104106 for dreams and other business. Email neil at uh, redfm.ie. The sun will arrive at some stage today, lads. Maybe you've got it already. Have a good day. Oh, just before I go, please, can you wish my mum, Amanda, a happy 44th birthday shout out? It would be a lovely surprise for, for the day that's in it. Job done. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.